0: You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 548. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Hello. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. Your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at the new APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 15th of December, 2022. Today's episode, a controller's mistake in Australia could have caused a runway collision. An industry first for Alaska Airlines. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale, 12 crashes of Christmas. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger. Flight 548 is ready to push back.
1: Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter, currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins on 92.3 FM in New York City! Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia. And joining us today, from his studio... In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire... Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340. Captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways, it's Captain Nick. Uh, You forgot to mention my other
2: part-time job. It happens on the 25th of December, Jeff.
1: Oh, I thought I was covered by a non-disclosure agreement. Sorry. (laughs) Okay. You can talk (laughs) about that. Well,
2: the elves might make you a visit,
1: yes. All right. Well... Uh, we're also joined by, well, he's not in the air capital. He's in Dayton, Ohio, low and slow pilot, old airplane enthusiast, and engineer in the aerospace and defense industry. It's Nick Camacho.
3: Yeah, uh, I'm glad I was able to catch everyone, and uh, just yeah, hopping around uh, aviation heritage sites. I guess. These days.
1: Yeah, got to be careful what you say though about like first and flight and stuff. You know, Steph's not here, but. That's true. When she does arrive, she'll be very sensitive to that. And also from her studio in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer, it's Liz Piper.
4: Hello, everyone, from a stormy Toronto.
1: Hello, hello. Great to see you, Liz. And also from his studio in Southern California, a pilot on the Airbus A320 family of aircraft for a U.S. legacy airline which he calls Legacy Airlines, host and creator of the Squawk Ident Aviation Podcast. It's Tony Charvela, a.k.a. Aviator Tony.
5: Hi, everyone. It's such a pleasure to be here.
1: Great to have you with us, Tony. And we're going to learn more about you and your show after we take a little bit of a break. But in the meantime, I think it's now time for the news. Stand by for news. All right, our first item in the news notebook is uh, this. It's an update. Uh, we talked about this, I believe. Liz, was it the last show that we were uh, t-
6: la- talking the about? Last one, and I think it's two ago.
1: I think two ago. I don't know, the not long cutter. ago. The box cutter dude.
6: Yeah, box cutter
1: dude. Okay. Uh, so uh, let's see. He was on a Frontier flight, and uh, let's see, where were they? At the Cincinnati Northern Kentucky International Airport, CVG. Uh, boarding a frontier flight to tampa and uh, we have some updated information regarding the fact that uh, at first we thought that uh, tsa had discovered it and then they let him um, keep the thing and then turns out he actually had two of these box cutters on him Uh, it was initially believed that he had completely evaded tsa security screening oh that's not what i was just saying no Um, (laughs) yeah okay cut and now enter It was initially believed that Liebisch, uh, the passenger, had completely evaded TSA security screening, but an internal review now reveals that officers found one of two box cutters during the X-ray screening, but returned it to him. Let me read that again. Uh, Security officers found one of two box cutters. You know, the thing that the uh, terrorists used uh, 9-11-2001? To uh, to kill the airline crews and take over, uh, yeah. Uh, and then they handed it back to him. Uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office said on Thursday that the TSA officers had mistakenly believed that they had rendered it inoperable by removing its blade before returning it to Liebisch. They didn't realize, however, that the box cutter had a spare blade built into the handle. Okay, now yeah, let me ask, yeah, yeah. let me ask you all out there, anybody that has any experience at all with box cutters please tell me you know that you take those little screws off and then you you separate the halves of the box cutter and guess what inside of there there are more blades because when you mess up one of the blades you have those spare blades in there to replace maybe maybe that's not a well-known thing i don't know apparently
2: well i live in england and i knew that <laughs>
1: There you go. I mean, well, I think they have box cutters in England. You have boxes over there, right? Uh, yeah, you have Boxing Day. Yeah, I've, Obviously, yeah, you right. have boxes. <laughs> yeah, we uh, need Neil's a bunch of them. Neil says, this
6: is what the TSA said. Uh, Neil him.
1: says, uh, this is what the TSA said. Hey, you forgot your knife. <laughs> Here. Uh, spokesperson for the TSA confirmed that the box cutter should not have been returned to the passenger <laughs> and that it should have either been abandoned or checked into his hold luggage. A search of his hand luggage after his arrest also uncovered a second box cutter. Yeah, so uh, yeah. that
6: was an interesting. So update. many
1: problems with this particular
2: uh, group of TSA agents. I mean, once you found one, you you then you've got to go. Uh, why was this guy trying to get through with a prohibited item? Uh, and you then, certainly if it was me, a captain, uh, trying to get out to my aeroplane, I know very well that every single item that I owned would be now opened and uh, and I would probably be faced with the supervisor, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Why should a passenger, who's an unknown person, uh, get such lax treatment? I just don't understand no idea
5: i no mean idea. i i don't know about you guys but i have been stopped for the most ridiculous things in my past from those little tiny screwdrivers for your sunglasses or your glasses that you want to keep <laughs> with you in case you know you need them um to little nail files and yet a box cutter just oh yeah go ahead you can have it back it's empty i mean that's just and the it's, thing it's that insane, blows me
1: away is that that is actually the, the, the actual tool that was used on nine 11. Yeah. And
0: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And I'm with you. I have, I have this little uh, waiter's corkscrew that has this little tiny little hook blade, but it's not even sharp. I mean, it's just like, it's to you to, to take the wire, you know, the, uh, the, the, the capsule, what do we call it? The, the, yeah. The foil off the uh, wine bottle. And uh, they've taken that away from me. I'm like, well, it's not even sharp, and it's only this long. You know, like, yeah, anyway.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I used to regularly fly with my – because I'm, I'm in my bowling shirt because I've just oh. come back from lawn bowling. I used to fly with a set of lawn bowls with me frequently around the world, and uh, sporting goods um, were considered uh, safe. You're allowed to travel with those in your hand luggage, and uh, I would – frequently be pulled up with that and i go well they're sporting goods and somebody once said well you could hit the captain over the head with them (laughs) and i just looked at my sleeve and
1: went i think i am the captain (laughs) Um, you might hit your 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 own self self. yeah Yeah. yeah.
5: crazy now i i'm really excited that you're you're doing lawn bowling you know in italy we call the bocce ball Ah,
2: You you have some strange version. Do you throw them in the air?
5: Yeah. So you have the little uh, wood ball that's about the size of a ping pong ball, and that's the lead ball. So you throw that out there. And then each player has four larger, I don't know if they're just made out of really hard wood or what they are. They're pretty heavy. And the goal is to whoever has their balls closest to the lead ball gets the points. Is that pretty much what you're doing there as well?
2: No, we roll ours along the grass I was going to say, uh, or, Nick's,
3: always, Nick's always talking about how big his balls are So, <laughs>
5: Yeah, I know, quite sizable It
3: doesn't have any do
2: Yes, absolutely so, No but, throwing yeah. in the uh, air You're talking of the sort of continental version Which is vaguely
1: similar I'm sure it came from the same roots
5: <laughs> Okay
1: Moving along so Yeah, let's move along Control room's telling me <laughs> Moving along <laughs> <laughs> this goes way in it the goes wrong way direction. Off. Of yeah. All right. This next one is from the Aviation Herald. Uh, by the way, I should re- mention the c- clip source for the last article was from Paddle Your Own Canoe. Yeah, yeah. One of yeah. Liz's favorites. I love it. Yep. And uh, this one is from one of my favorites, uh, the uh, Aviation Herald. And Liz loves this one as well. Uh, a Virgin Australia Boeing 737 800 registration, Victor Hotel, India, Whiskey, Quebec, performing flight 855 from Melbourne. Uh, to sydney was on final approach to sydney's runway 25 when the crew was cleared to land with the remark that an a380 was in position on runway 34 left but was holding the aircraft landed safely after rolling through the intersection of runway 25 with runway 34 left the airbus a380 received takeoff clearance so far so good the boeing vacated the runway contacted ground and began taxiing towards the apron which involved crossing runway 34 left Ground issued a clearance to cross runway 3-4 left. However, the Boeing crew saw the A380 still on their departure roll, they were on their takeoff roll, and queried Ground about the crossing clearance, and then Ground then instructed them to hold position. The crew stopped clear of runway 3-4 left. A Singapore Airlines Airbus A380 800 registration, 9 Victors, Sierra Kilo, Quebec, performing flight 222, Uh, from Sydney to Singapore, was accelerating for takeoff. Uh, They were cleared for takeoff in 3-4 left. They were about to rotate when the aircraft passed the intersection with the taxiway that the Boeing was on. The Australian TSB reported that the Airbus A380 was on its initial climb as it passed through the taxiway intersection with the Boeing 737 about 300 meters from the 3-4 left holding point. Uh, The Australian Transport Safety Bureau is investigating an air traffic control error that occurred at Sydney on 14 November involving attack. Okay, so we just went over that. So basically the the system worked as far as well I mean there was a there was a problem, there was a uh, there was an error made. It was trapped though and mitigated by the crew who had received clearance to cross the runway but they were looking out their windows and Seeing if, there, if the runway really was clear, and then they saw that big 380, you know, barreling down the runway and thought, hmm, are you sure? That doesn't look good. Yeah, that doesn't look like uh, that would be good for our health if we continued. Uh, now, it t- turns out that I guess maybe by the time that the 380 had crossed over them, it would have been in the air a couple hundred feet or something. But still, it was a major error, and the, um, the crews trapped the error uh, as they should. So it was, a, it was a happy ending because people were paying attention.
6: Yeah,
2: hats off to the Boeing crew. Uh, so it's nice to see people are still d- doing it because, uh, you know, clearance is not a guarantee that someone hasn't made a mistake. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, we used to be absolutely pedantic about it. And what's more, we both both pilots would check left and right, and we would confirm that we've both heard and received the clearance and that the runway is clear and then it's the safest way to do it that way you don't get dreadful mistakes
1: yeah um now tony you uh probably fly out of los angeles international quite a bit yes i do and uh do they have the uh the runway status indicator lights um on those runways there
5: Yes, on uh, 25 right, which is primarily on the south uh, side of the airport where we normally take off out of, uh, we do have those. Um, when everything is working proper, appropriately, in which I believe those uh, status lights are not controlled by a controller, they're all automatic. So it is a definitely a good way to prevent such things as happening as a runway incursion or, or you know having a conflict like that. Um, a lot of airports that we fly into are putting those in, um, around the country. And sometimes it could be a little annoying, uh, because when, if you can visually see downrange and you see an aircraft just about to enter the runway threshold, uh, those lights sometimes don't come on until maybe that nose is crossed into the runway plane. And then as the airplane is leaving the runway, they turn off before the entire airplane has come off. And I, that might be because of the programming they have with the lights, to that they have some kind of expectation that by the time you were to take off, they would be clear. Um, so there's there's a little bit of a kind of a, a visual discrepancy between when those lights come on and off and when the airplane is, in fact, uh, your conflict is on the runway plane. Um, and, and that takes a little bit getting used to. But when everything is working and we understand how those uh, procedures work, that's a, a fantastic barrier to safety.
1: Well, I, yeah, their they're greatest um, uh bonus benefit. Or benefit, benefit thank you uh is the fact that they are autonomous and they're based on sensors and that kind of thing so it kind of eliminates any potential human error from uh, controllers and such but i love them and i i don't and atlanta's airport doesn't have them at all charlotte
6: they have them at heathrow i think
1: has them the one the one airport that i fly to uh, most often on my Routes are uh, is is the Charlotte Airport, and I really love. I, I think that every airport should have those things. I know they're expensive, but I think that uh, it's worth the amount of money to to install these things, especially at the bigger airports. What'd you say, Liz? I
6: think Nick had them at Heathrow. I at, think Heathrow? at Heathrow,
1: yeah. Did Heathrow have those uh, runway status uh, indicator lights, uh, Nick?
2: uh not when i was operating oh, from I'm there sorry. where they've my, had them fitted b- since i'm not yeah. sure my i bad. think
1: what you're sorry. thinking about Liz, maybe are the uh follow the greens or the taxiway lighting oh, system oh maybe and, so yep yeah. sorry probably so okay um all right uh, anything else to be said about the incident here i mean it was a it was a luckily or fortunately for everyone involved it was uh, it worked out because people were you know capt- capturing or trapping the errors uh so I think uh, we can move on to the next item, which is uh, from news.alaskaair.com. Okay, so Alaska Airlines is uh, becomes the first U.S. airline to launch electronic bag tag program. So be careful when you're walking by the Alaska counter, they're launching these things, and they might, you mm-hmm. might get hit in the head uh alaska is partnering with dutch company BagTag on the electronic bag tag program the devices are equipped with durable screens that have been tested to withstand being run over by a luggage cart and are affixed to baggage just like any other bag tag using an industrial strength plastic zip tie today we're announcing this is alaska uh, that we will become the first u.s airline to launch an electronic bag tag program later this year Uh, They allow guests to skip the step of printing traditional bag tags at the airport. Travelers will be able to activate the devices from anywhere, their home, office, or even car, up to 24 hours before their flight through uh, through our mobile app. This technology allows our guests to tag their own bags in just seconds and makes the entire check-in process almost all off-airport. Uh, Let's see. Not only will our electronic bag bag tags allow our guests to quickly drop off their luggage after they arrive at the airport, the devices will also give our employees the opportunity to spend more one-on-one time, quality time, with guests Mm -hmm. who ask for assistance and reduce lines at our lobbies. Now, unfortunately, I did uh, download the video that came along with this, uh, and it's not, for some reason, loading in uh, StreamYard, which is the uh, platform we use to present our show. But honestly, I was going to say, I watched this video and it didn't look to me like there was uh, maybe I'm missing something here, but it didn't look like there was a great advantage as far as time savings. The person came in with their, their, their bag tag thing and still walked up to the ticket counter and still had to go to a kiosk and still had to put their bag, into this kiosk thing. I think Liz was showing some pictures of the, of the (laughs) process and I'm thinking, well, if, if everybody's doing that, then there's going to be a line of people waiting to use those things. I, I don't know, maybe what am I missing here? Am I missing something?
5: Well, you know, you saw that uh, they launched it at San Jose international airport, which happens to be the Silicon Valley international airport of choice there in the Bay area. So it's not surprising that they would have this kind of technology, uh, being tried out in an airport that is really the main hub for tech companies around the world. The The article went on to say that they were going to cut the check-in bag time by 40%, which means it cuts it by a whopping four minutes. Mm-hmm. So you're saving four minutes? That just seems like a kind of a waste of money and resources to... I don't know. Maybe it is the way well, the future I think but. Steph
2: would love to save an extra four minutes that mm-hmm. she could pitch up four <laughs> minutes later. That would be her ideal.
6: Yes, she doesn't check any yeah. bags.
1: Instead of leaving 10 minutes before her flight, she could leave six minutes before her flight. But exactly. She doesn't check From her, her yeah.
5: bags. But yeah, what if the right. lady, or the what? If, let's just say there's a couple in front of you, maybe an elderly couple, and they barely can use their phone appropriately, let alone figure out how to electronically code a bag tag and put it on their tag themselves, they're going to need extra assistance. So, you know, on some airlines out there, we recently uh, saw articles that they're getting rid of their call center, their customer service call center. People can you know, rebook and book everything online and through an app or on their phone. So if a flight gets delayed or canceled, they can just take a look on their phone to see what flight they got moved to. There's no one to talk to anymore on a particular low cost carrier, which I don't think we should talk oh, yeah, about go ahead say a, it. <laughs> a source, but um but but these kind of things, though they sound good for a young business perspective, for a young crowd that is tech savvy, what happens when Mima is trying to check in her bag and she can't figure it out? It might yeah. be a problem.
3: Yeah, I, I had a perfect example of that. A couple weeks ago when I flew out to California, because I flew out with my dad. We flew out together. And uh, I do everything on my phone, right? I check in before I get to the airport. Uh, If I have to check a bag, I still have to go up to the kiosk. But uh, I have all my boarding passes and everything on my phone. And my dad is the complete opposite. Um, You know, I'm kind of with you, Tony. Like, if my dad had to be dependent on his phone, um, he could figure it out eventually, but it wouldn't always in a timely manner. So yeah. I would also be worried about the, the durability of them. I know they said that, that they are um, capable of being run over by a luggage cart, which I, I realize is a significant um, a, a significant test, but it just seems like you know with them being moved around on the ramp in rain and snow and um, consistently being tossed, I would just be curious what kind of the backup plan is if one of those things were to malfunction.
1: Like, Yeah. I'm thinking the baggage cart runs over the thing, and the only thing that's left is the stupid tag. <laughs> <laughs> a handle. Yeah. Probably.
2: yeah. Uh, I'm just curious. Yeah. Uh, how do they get that barcode and your destination uh, to display? Because uh, that, to me, looks like something you
1: insert, or is that a… No, well, they said it's, it's a screen. They said it's a screen, I, and then yeah, like the s- picture, Liz. If you can show the picture of her at the kiosk, holding her phone underneath, and and I, I think the, in the video they showed somebody putting their um, their phone, their cell phone, right up against this bag. screen of the bag tag thing, and there's some yeah, like so a, some kind it might of maybe like a chip.
3: Bluetooth or something.
1: Yeah, or yeah. like a what do they call that? The, the little the the card QR that, code. No, it's like the, the thing that uh, when you use for Apple Pay or Android Pay, the little chip that's in there. I forgot what they call the chip. Um,
5: yeah, near field transmission yeah. or NFT.
1: NFT, that's it, yep. I think that's what's used
2: in so this So th- that, that that screen comes on so that the uh, scanners in the baggage, <laughs> automated baggage system can identify. So when do they turn off or do they just stay on all the time? Don't know. Maybe they okay, how long do the
3: batteries
1: last?
5: That would be another
3: question,
1: right? The batteries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we and if you don't
5: return them at the end of your flight, are you going to be charged for that?
1: Of course. Ah, I think so. there we go. So revenue uh, yeah, and enhancer. Neil, I think Neil's got yeah. the perfect end
4: this yep. off.
1: Neil, solution looking for a problem. Yeah, it could be, Neil. Could be. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, maybe maybe these are like the best things since sliced bread. We'll, We'll have to find out. Uh, okay, we'll skip the next we're gonna one. We're going to skip the Steph next one because Steph isn't here with us yet, and uh, but she is making progress and she has she's is coming, listening to the show because she's actually yeah. made some comments here in the uh, live she audience. Has. All right, um, e. let's see. This is, um, yeah, this is an interesting one. Let me play a little bit of a video in the background while I read the narrative to this one. And uh, here we go. What happened to it? Oh. Huh. It's gone. Oh, there it is. Add to stream. Okay, this is playing in the background. Um, That's a funny
4: looking plane. Just went by. There. That was
1: not a plane, Liz. That was oh. a tractor. Okay. Or Thank you. Uh, uh Jabba Airways 50, Juba Airways Fokker 50 registration Juba. Juba, I think.
7: Juba. Juba.
1: Okay. Registration five Yankee uh, Juliet X Ray November performing a flight from Bedoa to Mogadishu. And Somalia, with 30 passengers and six crew, flipped over on landing on Mogadishu's Runway 5, leaving the left wing behind on the runway. Uh Uh-oh. The other wingtip fractured. The wing left behind burst into flames. The occupants were able to evacuate. Three occupants received minor injuries. The aircraft sustained substantial damage beyond repair. Juba Airways confirmed their aircraft suffered an accident while landing in Mogadishu. Uh, all occupants were able to evacuate safely. Somalia's Civil Aviation Authority reported the Juba Airways Fokker 55 Yankee Juliet X-ray November crashed at the beginning of runway 5 at 11.28 local time, so almost noon. Uh, the aircraft carried 36 people. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Oh. On November seventeenth, twenty twenty-two, Somalia's Aircraft Accident Investigation Department reported that the aircraft encountered wind shear at low altitude on final approach. After which, the crew lost control of the aircraft. The aircraft hit the runway hard and came to a stop on its back. A fire broke out. Three passengers received minor injuries. Okay, so let's look at that. Uh, that uh, it's hard to see because it's not a it's not a great camera uh, and great footage uh but uh you can kind of see it in the uh background um not not the little tractor thing look over there more to the left actually toward the middle of the screen it's coming in it's coming in and it slams down looks to me like it oh, hit the left wing it turns over um before any other part of the airplane um i don't know about you guys but i'm looking at this report and looking at the winds thinking oh windsure, and they must have been really really super gusty winds or something at at the time and uh, let me check here um winds are 190 at 18 steady uh 200 degrees at 18 knots steady there's not even a gust reported here i don't know what do you think you think that the uh Accident investigation team is uh, is is kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt here, or what? What's going on?
2: (laughs) I I hate to, um, yeah, we've got scant evidence uh, that this is uh, a a bullshit report, but yeah, it does make me consider that because uh, you know the conditions throughout the entire period. Before and after look benign. It uh, doesn't mean to say that things can't happen. Um, but on the other hand, uh, you know, you we, we rely on everyone being honest and open when it comes to accident reports, so that we can all learn and we can all, you know, benefit from uh, the tragedy and and add it to our our little backpack of information that we carry around. And that if something like we ended up in a similar situation. We think, right? Well, I I don't want to make the same mistake, so I'm gonna be a little bit cautious here. Uh, I I don't see any justification for them saying it was wind shear, but I, you know, we, we weren't there on the ground, so or in the cockpit, so yeah, this is
5: yeah. true. It did look. I watched that video multiple times, and it did look like the aircraft was in a nose down attitude, uh, very low to the ground, which kind of pushes me towards thinking that maybe it was a hard landing, uh, considering it's a high wing aircraft with the main landing gear struts attached to the bottom of the wing and not necessarily the fuselage, um, a hard impact could potentially create a wing separation like that, but Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't, it didn't look violent, um, in terms of the way it proceeded to come to the runway. But with that video, it's kind of hard to tell. Yeah, And we'll have to wait to see what the accident investigation determines. But could it be faulty, uh, maybe wings bar or some kind of corrosion issue? I mean, the, the aircraft itself, I don't think they were manufactured before the nineteen late 1980s. So it's not like it's a terribly old aircraft.
1: Maybe a history of Firm landings, um, in that area of the world, you know, the, the, the runways, uh, airports aren't all like they Super are maintained, yeah. this, this kind of, you know, this part of the, of the world. I don't know. Maintenance it could be so many different things, but yeah, I don't know. It just didn't seem to me to be conditions, um, as far as wind shear is concerned, looks like something happened very close to the last few moments before touchdown and it just yeah. a very hard touchdown. Um. I don't know. Well, will hopefully hear something.
6: Wind shear or wing shear? Yep.
1: Oh, yeah. Bill, <laughs> wind shear or wing shear. Yeah. In this case, uh, maybe both, <laughs> but good. definitely wing shear for sure. Um, all right. Let's move on to this next item from the uh, Aviation Safety Network. Uh, a uh, Now, we talked about this when it happened, um, and it was quite a while ago, I believe. Yeah. It was back in 2013. Uh, 20- no, that was the first flight of the airplane. It was 2013. Um, let's see if you can find that, uh, Liz. Um, I will. I'm looking. Hang on. Yeah, it was not that long ago. And it was a cargo flight operated by – it was during the pandemic. Uh, it was operated yeah. by uh, British Airways, a Boeing 787-8 Dreamliner. and 18th were, of June,
7: 2021.
1: 18th of June, 2021. Okay. Uh, they So they've released uh, some more information. um and they were parked at a stand, number 583, at London Heathrow. Uh, While the aircraft was on stand being prepared for a cargo flight, a ground maintenance team was working to address three fault messages associated with the nose landing gear doors while the flight crew prepared the aircraft for the flight. The dispatch deviation guide confirmed that rectification of the defects could be deferred to a later date, providing the landing gear was recycled to confirm the nose landing gear doors function correctly. To prevent the landing gear from retracting uh, when up on the gear uh, handle was selected, the landing gear downlock pins were fitted. However, when the lead engineer selected the landing gear lever to up the nose landing gear retracted. Oops, the aircraft's nose struck the ground, causing significant damage to the lower front section of the aircraft and inflicting minor injuries on the co-pilot and one of the cargo loading team. Now, I don't know if the co-pilot was in the cockpit or whether it was on the ground, maybe doing a walk around. I'm not sure. It doesn't say. Um, the nose landing gear downlock pin had inadvertently been inserted in the downlock link assembly APIC apex pin bore instead of the down lock pin hole the design of the aircraft nose landing gear down lock assembly created an opportunity for error when inserting the nose landing gear locking pin the two holes located so close together that the pin could be inadvertently inserted in the incorrect location hmm i've heard that before a uh, service bulletin airworthiness directive was available that would have prevented the accident but this had not been completed on this particular airframe uh so uh, yeah the conclusion is that uh the nose landing gear retracted because they didn't have the uh pin in the correct hole so That'll do it yeah anything to add or god there's so much it. innuendo there people I you know, know you're just gonna leave, yeah I'm, just gonna I'm gonna try and
2: avoid that okay uh, <laughs> when you've got. Um,
6: I was
7: just going to say, here. I'll make my presence known so that, oh, no. you know, that HR is, is <laughs> available yeah.
1: oh, and watching. Dear. Okay. Uh, but say no, what you'd sorry. like. Sorry. No, no, <laughs> okay. that's okay. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh,
2: sorry, Steph. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say that if you're going <laughs> to stick your pin in a hole, uh, you've got to make sure it's the right one. Otherwise, uh, you could end up in a lot of trouble. <laughs> it like um, HR
7: agrees, actually. That's,
2: <laughs> that's, uh, so true. You know.
1: So true. And
2: uh, – If you're going to design holes like that, don't put them so close together. Or more importantly, don't make them the same diameter. So make the hole that you shouldn't stick your pin into so small you can't get it in. Uh, That way you'll
1: pick the right hole. Show title, people. think. Just put that to the side.
2: (laughs) Something to do. Seriously. I mean, uh, you you don't actually have to do much. Uh, Just a, a plastic insert that physically prevents uh, mm. someone from making this mistake. Now, the, the, the bin line has been around for quite a while now, so it's not like people haven't noticed that this could be a potential problem. Um, and it, it's been the same in the industry. We, we've we always strived to make sure that people can't do simple mistakes. And uh, you'll notice there is uh, uh, one of the accidents that are coming up with the plane tap. Ter- Someone uh, connecting um, a plug uh, to the wrong plug hole uh, has, you know, caused the loss of a t- dreadfully expensive airplane. Uh, and uh, why have those two plugs um, able to connect? You don't do that. You make one, make them unique, so there's no possible way you can accidentally fit the wrong plug in the wrong plug hole. Uh, and that's that's how you you know avert these things, and we've known that for years. So how on earth we're we getting modern airliners being built that still have these basic design flaws? In I'm I'm going scratching
1: my head, going, "Come on, guys, we know we know better yeah. than this." And apparently, this um, this particular what do they call it? it wasn't an AD, but a, a service bulletin, and it was yeah. an airworthiness directive. So both yeah, yeah. the service bulletin and airworthiness directive was available that would have prevented the accident. It's just, I guess, they get Nick, uh, when they, get around they, to it. they give you a, like a time frame to yeah. make these corrections. And, you know, time is money. And, you know, you don't yeah. blame the airline for waiting as long as they can to install whatever they need to install to prevent something from this happening. And usually it works out just fine. But then you'll have a situation like this where they thought, hmm, yeah. maybe we should I have mean, taken the time.
2: When a nose wheel collapses, you, you, it's so easy to kill people because there are people underneath the airplane all the time. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that came so close to, um, you know, ending lives. And that's when you go, well, it's, it's not, stop messing about, guys. Let's get this fixed.
7: Well, yep. speaking of prolonging lives, maintaining lives, unless you have more to say about that particular story that we just ended?
1: No, I think that maybe you should go right on into uh, on item D. Yeah.
7: You just want me to read some of these names? Yes. Yeah. Okay.
6: You. <laughs> so Get your bell ready. This yeah. is
7: the one you alluded to, saving for me, and I think you saved it the last episode as well. Yeah, we, did. we did. So thank you. Yep. Um, this is from, oh, Paddle Your Own Canoe. Look at hmm. that. Uh, title is, Doctor Miraculously Saves Life of Passenger Who Had Two Cardiac Arrests During long haul Flight, Exhausting All Medicines On Board. Uh, So this was a consultant medical doctor at the University Hospitals of Leicester. And uh, this happened on a long-haul flight from London Heathrow to Mumbai earlier this month. Doctor, with my apologies to this, this doctor, Vishwaraj Vimala. Nailed it! Yep. Nailed it! A specialist in liver disease was traveling with his mother on board Air India flight AI one two eight on twelfth November when the cabin crew called for a doctor to come forward after a forty three year old man with no pre existing medical concerns suddenly collapsed. Sorry, I don't know if you hear the fan on my computer. It's very noisy to yeah, me right yeah, now. Yeah. yeah, I'm hoping
1: Sorry. that's a nice breeze on you right now.
7: It's not. It points no. the other direction. Oh, okay. uh, just, there we go. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the, the NHS doctor jumped into action and took the lead for the cabin crew after initial resuscitation me- measures failed to have any effect on the seriously ill passenger. The ideal course of action would would be to get the plane onto the ground at the earliest opportunity so that the passenger could be whisked to a fully equipped hospital. But despite the fact that the Boeing 787 Dreamliner was flying over a populated land area, this wasn't an easy option. By the point the passenger had suffered a cardiac arrest aboard the eight and a half hour flight, the Indian registered aircraft was already flying over Pakistan, posing obvious diplomatic issues. Mm, Dr. Vamala says he requested an emergency medical diversion to Karachi in Pakistan, but the request first had to be passed through the High Commission. And during this lengthy process, the passenger's condition stabilized, so they decided to carry on to Mumbai. Unfortunately, an hour later, the passenger's condition deteriorated and he suffered a second cardiac arrest. For a moment, I thought I lost him, Dr. Vimala wrote in a Facebook post. Thankfully, there was a defibrillator on board and an emergency medical kit full of medicine for use by trained medical professionals. Dr. Vamala praised the cabin crew who acted as nurses, runners, and communicators while he worked to stabilize the patient. The flight nearly diverted to the Indian city of Ahmedabad, although it actually made it all the way to Mumbai, where medical responders were standing by to meet the plane. By this point, Dr. Vamala says all the emergency medicines on board the aircraft had been exhausted, but the patient had been stabilized. This was indeed a moment that I will remember for the rest of my life. Explanation point times three. <laughs> <laughs> I am amazed that in the most hostile environment, people from various backgrounds came to, come together, forming a team with just one motive in mind to save a young life. Dr. Vamala wrote, "They, meaning the cabin crew, took up roles which were so unfamiliar to what they are actually used to. There was a celebratory huddle by the whole team on touchdown." There was a standing ovation on final touchdown with the whole Air India team and all passengers. And while Dr. Vamala was there to look after the seriously ill passenger, luckily his mother was there to look out for her son. Dr. Vamala said that after tending to the passenger for more than four hours on the flight, his mother was concerned he hadn't managed to get any
1: sleep or food.
7: That's too bad that
1: uh, five minutes after they uh, got him off the airplane, he died. No, I'm just kidding.
7: That's not true. <laughs> ah, it sounds like it was a. It sounds like it was a positive well, outcome all around. So that's that's if incredible. He died,
1: it's probably because they it
2: put every single emergency um, <laughs> too many, <laughs> too many pump medications, pump full of, <laughs> <into> of epinephrine <laughs> and
7: lidocaine and amiodarone and, and yeah, just All I'm of the medications say, we got, just just go, to, go like with us. All of them. They so have a bunch of. <laughs> you know the the uh, automate, <laughs> the AED doesn't all tell you exactly what type of. All the emergency
2: medicines on board have been exhausted. Yeah, yeah and that's think a that big Lincoln airplane. Was exhausted too. It's yeah. a big
7: airplane, but you know, there's uh, I don't know um, what Air India keeps in their medical kit on board, but there's typically um, you know you don't expect to have a, a very lengthy medical emergency or or multiple perhaps because typically there is going to be some sort of diversion if it's that serious. You know, you're not going to continue for hours and hours trying to work
1: on somebody. Excellent. Well, I'm glad we had our doctor on board. It was a happy ending. Absolutely. uh, Mm -hmm. Good thing we have those. Yeah, definitely
7: a challenging uh, environment, and it sounds like uh, everybody that was there really, you know, did what they could.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on to item G. Now, we did talk about this shortly after it happened. It's uh, a flight, uh, let's see, Republic. It was from Aviation Herald. Uh, Republic E one seventy five at Atlanta on November sixth of twenty nineteen had a trim runaway, severe control problems, stalling situation. And uh, remember, we we were talking about this, thinking like, what in the heck was going on here? I mean, this they really struggled to get this airplane under control, and they almost crashed uh, before they finally uh, were able to uh, get it under control and land on uh, runway one zero in Atlanta. Uh, On the 18th of November, 2022, the NTSB released their factual report along with the investigation docket. The NTSB stated that the crew had been flying two sectors prior to the occurrence sector. The first sector was flown by the captain, the second by the first officer. So they're taking turns. Uh, During the first sector, the captain received a pitch trim switch one fail message. After landing, the captain wrote the message up. According to flight crew members, maintenance personnel at LaGuardia initially advised that they would change the pitch trim switch on the captain's yoke to resolve the ICAS message, and that it would take about 20 minutes to obtain the part. The maintenance personnel reported that they had partially removed the switch before deciding to defer the maintenance per the minimum equipment list, the MEL. The maintenance personnel then reinstalled the partially removed switch but did not perform a functional test because the switch was a deferred maintenance item maintenance personnel placarded the switch inoperative and advised the captain to use the backup trim switch instead of the faulty trim switch on his yoke. So then they leave LaGuardia, fly down to Atlanta. It was the first officer's leg. There's no reason for the captain to activate the trim switch on his yoke. Now it's the captain's turn. Atlanta back to LaGuardia. Uh, he was unable to engage the autopilot when the airplane reached an altitude of about 2,200 feet mean sea level, which to me, it seems like awfully low to the ground since the elevation in Atlanta is a little over a thousand feet. Uh, the captain stated that he knew that something was wrong. So instructed the first officer to declare an emergency. ATC communication showed that, um, the emergency was declared. The controller confirmed that the airplane needed to return to the airport And provided instructions to the flight crew to enter the downwind leg for runway 10. The captain thought that that a pitch trim runaway was occurring, so he conducted the single memory item on Republic Airways Runaway Trim Emergency Checklist, which was to push and hold the autopilot trim disconnect button on his yoke. The captain also stated that he kept pushing the button and that he was unable to pick up the quick reference card from his lap to continue to troubleshoot the issue because he had to keep both of his hands on the yoke to control the plane. The first officer stated that the captain was struggling to control the airplane. The captain asked the first officer to push and hold the autopilot trim disconnect button located on the first officer's yoke. The flight crew members reported that they did not notice any changes in the airplane's pitch condition and were having difficulty holding the airplane's nose down. According to the captain, both he and the first officer had to push forward on their control columns to keep the airplane from pitching up. According to the flight data recorder, the horizontal stabilizer was initially positioned about four degrees nose up, which is probably a typical takeoff trim setting. The stabilizer began moving and reached a maximum nose up position of 13 degrees, just a A couple of minutes later, and then the flight data recorder recorded multiple trim-up commands from the captain's switch, trim-up, and only one trim-down command from the first officer's switch. The airplane experienced several pitch oscillations, reaching a maximum pitch-up attitude of about 27 degrees at uh, 210808. About seven seconds later, the flight crew told the controller that the airplane was in a stalling situation. After one minute later, the flight crew reported that we can't pitch down. The FDR data showed that the flight crew banked the airplane to main control, maintain control, which is a good idea. Captain pressed the button to cut out the pitch trim system one because that was the system associated with the ICAS message. FDR data showed that all recorded pitch trim commands from both the captains and the first officers pitch trim control switches corresponded to the stabilizer movement until 21:10:36, at which time the stabilizer par- parameter suddenly went to zero degrees, which was consistent with the trim cutout switch act- actuation. According to Embraer, if only one cutout switch is pressed, the system is still capable of moving the horizontal stabilizer. But if both cutout switches are pressed, the system stops moving the horizontal stabilizer. The first officer stated that the airspeed dropped to 138 knots before they regained control of the airplane. Okay, so basically, um, there, there's some more data here, uh, but I think you get the idea. They were doing some work on the captain's uh, trim switch up at, up at LaGuardia, and then they decided, you know what, we don't have time to do this. Let's put it all back Stop. together, yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, we'll say, Captain, don't use that trim switch, okay? Don't touch it. It's, it's uh, yeah. deferred. Don't touch that. Twitch. So uh, basically it was the captain's turn again, leaving Atlanta for LaGuardia. And he, in interviews after this said, you know, it's just almost second nature. And I understand this unless I guess you're an Airbus pilot, because uh, you don't have a trim switch, but if you're flying an airplane and you're used to like relieving control pressures, you just automatically just start using that trim switch. It's just, as you said, second nature, anyway, muscle a, memory, muscle memory. Um, the problem is they discovered that the, and he wasn't supposed to use that switch, but when they reinstalled the switch, it turns out that they, they installed it upside down, inverted. Backwards. So he was thinking it was trimming forward as the airplane was gaining speed, which you would normally do. And instead it was actually trimming the opposite direction. So that's why it was getting harder and harder and harder for him to push the nose down because he was actually trimming the airplane nose up and, uh, uh, it didn't, you know, it, it didn't uh, register to his brain that this is what was happening. Um, I think that it, there was a time during all of this that the first officer took control and I think actually regained control of the airplane. Um, and at that point, I would have said, OK, you have the airplane. <laughs> it's all yours. Um, mm-hmm. So there are there some some problems here because. The placard that you know. Anytime we have a system that is um, uh, deferred, there is some kind of a little placard there to kind of remind you: okay, don't touch this switch, don't use this switch. This system's not working. Whatever. There's really no place on the yoke. Now, I don't know, um, uh, Tony, have you ever flown the E175? No, not the
5: 175, but I did spend 12 years on the 145. Okay, so and it's, it's a also a very made by similar the same
1: airplane. I mean, same company.
5: Yeah. Yeah. The Embryo 145, there is a memory item for a pitch trim runaway. The switch itself is, um, almost like it's two channels. It's like two portions of left and a right. So you have to go up and down mm-hmm. and, uh, the, on the yoke, there's a little red button for a nose wheel steering or a pitch trim disconnect that you would push. As you mentioned in the article, having that switch put in backwards, um, I could see how there could be a momentary uh, state of confusion uh, because obviously we're, we're pitching for a particular speed and, and they were just, the captain's side was M.E.L. At the company I used to fly for, which we call Sandpiper as an alias uh, to one of the wholly owned by the Legacy Airlines, uh, they had a, a normal procedure. If they did M.E.L. that, which I have seen before, they would put the in-op stickers right over the pitch trim switch to kind of remind you. And if the, if the sticker wasn't big enough, they'd put two big stickers on there. Um, pilots are pilots. Sometimes we don't notice that a particular MEL procedure is a hundred percent. If the procedure said, it usually tells you exactly where to put the placard in the, on the flight deck, whether that's on the console or on the PFD or the MFD or, or what have you. In this particular situation, I believe you're supposed to put it adjacent to the trim switch. And it was always a good practice to put a piece of uh, the white MEL sticker over the switch itself to remind you. And if that wasn't a practice, I would fly with both captains and first officers that would either take a piece of paper or something or a a post-it and put it there. Don't touch. Now, who knows what? Their mindset was during this event, the fact that the autopilot didn't couple was a a trigger, as you mentioned. And when the captain was using, because you go to the law of primacy, you go to, holy crap, something's happening that I'm not used to. What am I supposed to do? Well, let me trim this. And he was putting more and more forward pressure on the yoke while trying to push forward on the trim switch. and, And it was getting harder and harder, meaning the aircraft was pitching for a particular airspeed with takeoff thrust, that's gonna you're going to be pointing up to twenty seven degrees as they did. So, however they did, they broke the nose over by banking the aircraft. That was wonderful. That's what they teach you in the simulator. Uh, the pitch trim runaway is a regular practice, at least at Sandpiper, uh, as an event in ret- recurrent training and in initial training. Um, that you had momentarily put up there their procedure. Um, so they did everything to me, it sounds like they did everything kind of in the right order to get, regain control of the aircraft, but it wasn't a very clean, like, Oh, let's do that over again in the simulator. Obviously it's some human factors here Mm -hmm. that created the situation. And luckily it, you know, it worked out for them. Um, but yeah, if both those trim disconnect buttons get pushed, then it goes kind of to like a neutral position and you can regain the aircraft control. Uh, this has happened before uh over at Sandpiper uh, as they were the launch customer for the Embraer 145. And uh, that procedure was put in place uh specifically be- to prevent this kind of thing. And it's not the first time I've heard of a pitch trim switch being put in backwards as well.
1: Yep. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm wondering. A, go ahead, Nick.
3: I was just gonna say I have a couple of questions since <clears throat> Tony seems to know what he's talking about. Um, Your first the, mistake. <laughs> no, no, no. I, this is great. He just knows always, the rest
7: of us would have no idea. And this, like, no, these but, hmm.
3: these stories always pop up, and we're always like, man, we wish we had someone who flew a 737 on the show or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so the story mentions that the maintenance crew told him to use or. Recommended him to use the backup switch. So does each pilot have two
5: separate trim switches? Now, on the 175, I'm not – because I've never been trained on the 175. But mm-hmm. I believe there is a backup on the center pedestal. And it's a, it's a switch on the center pedestal, I think on the right side, kind of towards the back end of it. Whereas okay. it's a backup. Because if you hold your trim switch for more than so many seconds, I I can't remember now. It's been many years. But if you held the trim switch in a particular state for more than, I think, five seconds, the logic would then say, hey, this trim switch is stuck. So it will cut out that trim switch. And then you could revert to a backup switch on the pedestal where both pilots could reach it. Um, And that's what I believe when they're saying the backup trim switch. I believe that's what they're talking about. And then did they have manual? Did they have a trim wheel? There's a trim wheel, but uh, from my recollection, <laughs> yeah, yeah, after I'm a certain functional. speed, good luck. Okay. After a certain speed, it's just so hard to try to use it. Uh, at, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Okay,
3: this is my last question. Um, what happens if uh, both pilots are act- – so like in this scenario, right, the guy's trying to trim the nose down – and he's actually trimming it nose up because uh, the switch is inverted. Mm-hmm. And then if the co-pilot also starts to trim nose down and you end up with competing. So one switches up and one switches down. What happens there?
5: Uh, I don't recall if the captain has authority on that one okay. or if it's the last one pressed. I, I don't remember. Okay. Um, but but there is some logic. Yeah. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking um, now that I'm, thinking about it a little bit more. And I was kind of um, uh, condemning the captain for wanting to turn the autopilot on so early in this flight. But now it makes sense. He's probably thinking, okay, it's my leg. I can fly it as long as I have the autopilot going, because I don't have that pitch trim, the primary pitch trim switch working. So uh, as long as I hook up the autopilot, it's going to be just fine. But for some reason, the autopilot wouldn't connect. So Now he's kind of reverting to the manual flying mode that he's used to, forgetting that the switch that he's activating is not supposed to be used. And of course, who would have thought that the maintenance people would have installed it upside down? And by the way, that's happened several times according to this report. Um, So I can understand the confusion and everything else. And I'm wondering, maybe in hindsight, he's thinking, you know – Maybe I should just have said to the first officer, you know, I know we you just flew down from LaGuardia, but can you fly us back? Because everything is working on your side, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I I would bet that there that's probably something that uh, he was thinking that he wished he had done, but
2: uh, yeah, I agree, hundred percent. A couple of comments just on a on a theme. We've just talked about uh, putting a nose wheel um, pin in. The wrong hole because it could be put in in the wrong place and the two holes were very close uh why is are we inventing switches that are dependent on being orientated correctly not made with symmetrical housing so that you physically can't put that switch in upside down why are designers forgetting fundamental simple fundamental um, factors like that that stops engineers from accidentally putting things in the wrong way it, that, it, it's just lessons that we should have learned or we have learned over yeah, decades that's called, called poke
3: yoke that's a a uh, design practice or whatever that the the japanese invented it was kind of um it was kind of accepted along with uh like kaizen and continuous improvement and there were a number of uh uh, I wouldn't say, I don't know if revolutionary is the right word, but, you know, after World War II, like ways that the Japanese got very good at making very good things very fast. And that was one of the things they used was poke yolk, which is like, you've got to make it as simple as possible. Um, you know, so it's, you don't have parts that have symmetric patterns so you can flip them around. Yeah. You don't have parts with different different um, functioning Items that are the same size, so like a bolt and a pin, and, and stuff like that, is all what you're sim, similar vein of what you're talking
1: about. Nick. This Absolutely. reminds me of that uh, incident that we talked about in Portugal where an airplane was going in for some major flight control re rigging, and uh, I think it was an E195. Yes, yes, yes. yes and yes. the cables were put in backwards.
0: Backwards, yeah.
1: And so when they took off, everything was like. The opposite of the way it was supposed to be. And again, it was one of those situations that you d- were just talking about here where it, it was possible to do that. And it should have been designed so that there's no way you could possibly put the wrong cable in the wrong slot because that would be disastrous. And I don't know, it was a miracle that they were able to control the airplane and get it on the ground.
3: Yeah. And here's a, another similar one happened recently. There's a, so the Diamond makes a multi engine airplane called the DA 62 and it has electronic ignition and electronic engine controllers. So it's got the main airplane battery, and then each engine has an independent airplane battery. And uh, one of them failed a few years ago, so the FAA put out an AD that said, that's not sufficient enough for us. You need to add another secondary backup battery to each engine. And uh, so that airplane now had five separate batteries to power various engine aspects of it. Well, here, I think in October, um, somebody miswired one of those backup batteries. And I think it's just like spade terminals on the battery, and they just got them swapped. Hmm. And it went through the system and blew a bunch of fuses and took down the entire, the secondary backup battery, took down the entire system. And the airplane landed off off airport because oh. both engines shut down.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, good Lord. Wow. Seemed like yeah. a good idea at the time. Cool. Yeah.
2: yeah well neil has mentioned uh, in the chat room that even color coding might work as you'll discover from the accident i've talked about uh, in a little while they were color coded but the engineers still managed to connect the wrong plug to the wrong plug despite mm. the fact that there was a color coding system so you just have to make them different sizes so they physically can't do that right uh, that's the only real way to make sure it doesn't that
7: Whenever possible, humans will continue to do human things. Yep. Yeah. Because that's yeah. what we do best.
6: Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah. And in the automotive <laughs> yeah. industry as well, anytime you have an electrical two prong switch or a two prong plug, you'll always have a unique key, mm-hmm. like we we're talking about. And so, like, if you're doing any kind of wiring on your car or your truck, putting in off road lights or whatever, a lot of these LED lights, they have to be polarized. Appropriately positive positive and negative terminals. So the plug set usually has only one way it will attach um, to prevent that reverse. Or if you're putting uh, batteries in series, you know, you could reverse a terminal and cause a, an electrical fire. Not unless you
1: really, really jam it.
5: Yeah, just, just, <laughs> more force.
1: Yeah, more force,
3: more better.
0: <laughs> Push out
3: and it's even as simple as, like, uh, on battery connectors, right? This is something that I just went through with all the testing that I did. But, uh, you know, like, making sure you have sockets on the battery side and pins on the airframe side so that if, mm-hmm. if uh, you know, something happens to that connector, you're not arcing across the airframe with the battery connector
1: mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
6: Well... On a lighter or more disgusting note.
1: Yeah, well, on a lighter or more disgusting note, depending on your uh, perspective here, uh, last item. Well, we can uh, (laughs) can really cruise through this one very quickly. Uh, From Paddle Your Own Canoe, uh, a British Airways passenger claims she found a dental implant in the meal that the cabin crew served her. And she says she's still waiting to hear back from the Heathrow-based airline after submitting a complaint about the gruesome discovery. Uh, her name, Gada El 34 years old, was flying with British Airways from London to Dubai on October 25th when she made the pretty disgusting find in amongst her broccoli and rice. Uh, talking or taking to Twitter earlier this week, she reached out to British Airways in an attempt to chase up a response to her complaint. Still waiting to hear from you regarding this dental implant we found in our food. We have all of our teeth, it's not ours. Uh, She continued, this is appalling. I also can't get through to anyone from your call center. Yeah, good luck with that. Um, It turns out that um, there was another um, uh, passenger flying with an Indian carrier, uh, claims there was a dead cockroach lurking in his meal. A photo of what appeared to be the hair-raising insect went viral, but the airline said it sent the meal off to be inspected and discovered the cockroach was, in fact, a piece of cooked ginger. It does. We're showing the picture right now in the video. It does it's kind of look like fun. some kind of a yeaky bug. Um, it's
7: protein. I mean, it was probably cooked.
1: Yeah. Well, perhaps even more gruesome, however, Steph, mm. was the discovery of the severed head of a dead snake in a cabin crew meal <laughs> aboard a Suns Well, that was probably flight. placed
7: there on purpose for whatever passenger was supposed to get that meal. That was
1: so that Actually, definitely was, like was a,
7: some c- mafia warning. It was a cabin
1: crew you know? meal, though. it was, oh, it was uh, a
7: cabin crew yeah. meal. Oh, yeah. Oh,
1: sorry. Yeah. So who cares? Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> You're quite right.
1: Okay. Time to get
6: to know us.
1: Yeah. Anything else to add or subtract no. or anything with that?
7: Small I've i found stay no. away from moldy, the crew meals. Yes. <laughs> I found moldy uh, fruit. Yeah, that's
5: I've seen that too. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Legacy good. has moldy fruit quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Moldy cheese. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. Nice. You know the the solution mm-hmm. to nope. that is you just oh sorry nope I was just going to say the solution to that is fly all these little uh, CRJ 200 flights like I do because they don't don't have meals, sir. You don't don't, don't have to worry about
1: it. There are no (laughs) meals on that either. All right. There you go. There's always a way to fix these situations. All right. Getting to know us. It's part of the show where we get to know what's been happening uh, with the crew members and special guests. So, uh, let's see. You know, let's start off with uh, you, Tony, um, because you're our special guest on today's show. Now, I'll preface all of this. People are going, well, you don't normally have guest hosts on your show. What's going on here? Well, I made a promise to Tony. Way back a little bit over the a year ago, December 3rd, I believe, of Correct. 2021, yep. right. when we did our 500th episode celebration, uh, both in Atlanta and in Farnborough, England. And, uh, so we asked people to send in special messages and that kind of thing. And Tony sent one, one of the Fantastic, best, yeah. uh, audio, uh, con- congratulatory messages of anyone. And we were so blown away by it. I, I contacted Tony and I said, you know, we need to have you on the show sometime. So it, it was, it's been a while, uh, better, better late than never. Sorry, Tony, it's taken this long for us to have you on. Uh, But we really, really did appreciate the very well-thought-out and very creative um, feedback that you sent us for our 500th episode. And here we are, 48 shows later on number 548, and uh, here you are. And so, Tony, uh, if you remember that audio feedback that he sent, it was very, very, as I said, polished and creative and professional-sounding. And that is because he also is a host of an aviation podcast entitled the Squawk Ident podcast. And so tell us about that. Tell us a little bit about you, Tony.
5: Well, first off, thank you so much. It's uh, an honor to be asked to come onto your show. Uh, I've been listening ever since I started getting into podcasting. I was doing my research on what kind of aviation podcasts are out there. Um, I'm you know, clearly a, a pilot that I've been flying for about 20 years now on a flight line. And I made it to the top of the pyramid. I got a job at a legacy carrier. I got the base that I wanted, the airplane that I wanted, and I was going to work and I thought, well, here I am. What else that is what? There? <laughs> <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> um, I have a, a little bit of a background in the arts. I have a, a degree in film production that I achieved in 1998 from San Francisco State, and I never really did much with it. I kind of... Migrated from one career to another. And when I finally settled on an aviation career, I put all my eggs in one basket and, you know, moved forward. And I was very fortunate. Uh, my career, I've never been furloughed, knock on wood, um, but it's been very lucrative for me. And some of my friends and family, they would always love to hear the stories about what we do. I mean, we've all, all of us that, Are in even the GA community all the way up through, you know, mainline carriers in the airline industry, we all always get asked questions about that mysterious magic that happens when we fly. And I'd like to think I'm a relatively good storyteller. And a friend of mine said, you know, you should, you should probably do a podcast about aviation. And I really didn't think that was a smart idea. Uh, I know that a lot of uh, major airlines have social media policies with their employees that they don't want them to go out and say something maybe negative about their company. And so I thought it might be a little dangerous. So I did a little bit of homework and I that's how I stumbled across APG. And yeah, I quickly came down with the syndrome. And uh, But I really enjoy the format. I listened to many podcasts out there. It took me about three months of really doing my due diligence and finding out what was involved. And I decided, hey, I could do this. So, Amazon uh, ordered a, a cheap microphone and I had a laptop. I thought I could do this. <laughs> and uh, those first couple episodes were <laughs> pretty embarrassing. I I tell people, don't listen to the first five. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I continue to listen to your show and some of the other shows out there. I know uh, Jeff and I uh, both listen to the, the Pod Father. Um, and uh, these shows really kind of. Set the tone of what I wanted to get out there, which is really to tell people and ex- and express how this journey is different for everyone. Uh, we have pilots out there. You know, sometimes you fly with a pilot two or three times in the course of your career, and you know you'll you'll hear what they did before flying at this carrier, or you'll hear what they do in their spare time, or you will hear about the family and the children, but you never really dive into. uniqueness because most people are pretty modest at least i've found and to hear these stories about some of these pilots i've flown with like uh generals i've flown with b2 pilots uh i flew with a pilot that was involved with skunk works um just amazing stories and at the beginning of this whole podcast journey that started in 2019 for me uh, I just was asking everyone I was flying with, hey, you want to be on a podcast? <laughs> let me let me record you. Uh, I've got a lot of thank you, but no thank yous. But those that were willing to sit down with me for an hour or so, um, I just was amazed on what I was hearing, You know the uniqueness of everyone's story. And the feedback I was receiving was very positive. And here we are now, getting ready to go into season five of the Squawk Ident podcast. I have uh grown my co-hosts from one or two of my friends to now uh, four additional co-hosts and whenever the schedules work out we can get everybody on the show and and I really do feel proud of this baby that I've that I've seen grow and uh you know the the whole point is to keep it positive to explain what we do and uh kind of bringing it all back to why I wanted to do it was uh, when I got into aviation, I didn't come from an aviation background. so i my knowledge came with the person next to me at the flight school or my flight instructor. I thought they were, you know, flying gods, right? Oh, this is how, how do you get into airlines as if they knew, right? <laughs> and the, as I progressed in my journey, uh, I was able to fulfill some pretty significant roles, all those bullet points on your resume that I always talk about. Uh, I was able to put another bullet point every few years on my resume. And I didn't want the next generation to feel the way I felt, kind of so curious about what to expect, but only having the knowledge of what the books could tell me or what the flight instructor could tell me, or what my captain could tell me at a regional. Uh, And it, it wasn't until I had real life experiences that I was able to kind of bring it all together and everything kind of just smoothed out. I got calm with how I fly, how I operate. And I've been very, very blessed to to be here today uh, in a position where I'm flying my dream job. I've got almost 20 years left before I have to retire. That is if they don't change it to age. 90 by then who knows <laughs> hope not <laughs> but <laughs> but uh yeah that that's how i got into it and i've you know it's been a pleasure to send some feedback your way uh, occasionally I, I find myself listening constantly especially when i'm driving to the airport um and yeah asleep. it's it's been absolute pleasure to, yeah, that to is hear dangerous. from you as well
1: dangerous to uh, listen to us while you're driving because that could easily you could easily nod off
5: No, not at all. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the reasons I started listening to podcasts while driving uh, was because I was doing a lot of these red eyes coming back from Hawaii. One of the whole reasons I wanted to get based on the aircraft that I was selected on, which was the Airbus, was because they were doing LA to Hawaii on every island. And a lot of those trips, especially the more junior Hawaii flying, you would fly out in the morning on day one, Stay there 30 hours and then leave Hawaii around 10 o'clock at night, landing at LAX around six o'clock in the morning. And then you got to get in a car and drive through LA traffic another hour to get home. And I tried everything, music, rolling the windows down, air conditioning, everything. And, you know, you're doing the touch and goes while you're driving and you're like, oh. I got to pull over. I got to pull over.
1: Shaking your head. It doesn't work. Shake your head. and Sticking your head out the window. (laughs) That doesn't work.
5: (laughs) Nothing worked. But Uh then when I started listening to a podcast that was engaging, that kept my interest, that was not just some rhythmic thing that was going to put me to sleep, it actually helped quite a bit keep me awake. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, this world of podcasting that we live in, uh, well, the world of YouTube and the world of podcasting is, is so great for people to learn about our jobs and what to expect and all. we didn't have any of that when we were you know at the beginning of our careers or at least i didn't uh, there was no such thing as youtube or podcasting way back you know before the turn of the century so uh it's uh i'm glad that uh, there are several of us out there doing this sort of thing to kind of help people along in their journey that's awesome any questions, crew, for uh, Tony, before we move on?
7: So where can everyone find your podcast? I know mean, you mentioned the name of it, but you've got – and we could do this at the end of the show, too, when we do our stuff. But
5: yeah, now a it doesn't I hurt didn't. in case
7: people yeah. tune out later on. Yep.
5: Yeah, the Squawk Ident podcast, an aviation podcast on all players. You can even tell Alexa to play Squawk Ident, and she'll do it. Um, and you can find the website at aviatortony.com and I spell it uh, Alpha, Victor, the number eight, Romeo, Tango, Oscar, November, Yankee.com.
1: Alexa, play Squawk Ident podcast. See if anybody's Alexa is doing that right now. (laughs) Um, It's only
7: coming to my ears. (laughs) (laughs) Mine's sitting right here. (laughs) So if I said it out loud, it probably would start playing it.
1: (laughs) All right. Uh,
2: Quick question, uh, Tony. Um, Because being uh, an Airbus fan myself, uh, what was it about Airbus that made you think that was your ideal airplane?
5: Uh, when I first was based uh, with uh, what we call Sandpiper, I was based in Chicago and living in Los Angeles. So I had to commute to Chicago at the beginning of my trip and back home, obviously. So I got to sit in the jump seat of many airplanes, 7.3, um, 7.5, a couple times, the Airbus a lot, the A380. Um, I have moved around quite a bit in my lifetime, I've uh, lived in Seattle for a while, lived in Albuquerque for a while um, and just the different carriers and what I realized quickly was that everyone doesn't matter if you're a ten thousand hour pilot, a thousand hour pilot, or a fifty thousand hour pilot. We all do bonehead things, <laughs> especially uh going through ten thousand you know it's like, weren't you supposed to be a two fifty captain? Oh. Oh thanks. Was well, that still a rule? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> we we still do that. <laughs> yeah. So I was I was I was privileged really to experience the operation of the different levels of aviation in the cockpit watching observing. Um, I actually used to say that I think every new hire at a regional should do so many hours just sitting in the cockpit observing because you learn so much. Um, from other people's like good techniques or some other people's, maybe I'm not going to do that. That's a trap right there. Um, so knowing how room, how roomy and how spacious the Airbus was, the, the tray table was huge for me. Um, you know, to eat like a, a gentleman with a tray in front of you <laughs> on a six hour flight or a trans Are you
2: suggesting that Airbus pilots are gentlemen, whereas Boeing pilots are what? Cowboys?
5: I would never suggest that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, but those, uh, they eat a lot of beans. I know that. Mm.
5: No, I am. I am uh, very much. Uh, I want to just say privileged to to have selected the Airbus. Uh, nothing wrong with Boeing. Don't get me wrong. This is. I don't want to. I know you and Rick. Have <laughs> uh, we just uh, a little bit of a fun. feud for fun, uh, but yeah, the the Airbus just was. You could stand up in the middle of a flight. Uh, I do actually do that quite often, especially on those long hauls from L.A. to Charlotte.
1: <laughs> you know, Tony, I don't even think you realize the Airbus privilege that you have.
5: <laughs> it's
1: disgusting.
6: <Wow>. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Just
7: kidding.
6: I think
7: HR has been – we've been having too many discussions. Maybe I need to tone those down a bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: Anyway, well, that's uh, – yeah, a lot, of, a lot of great things about that uh, platform for sure. Now we don't have to worry about having tray tables to eat our meals because we don't have meals in the seven one seven. I don't want to talk about that. Anyway, pull uh, you. I know
7: the okay. legs really aren't long enough to no be worried about we, that.
1: We have plenty of fast food places to eat in the airports. Okay, um, oh let's see. Uh, <laughs> healthy
7: and nutritious.
1: <laughs> yes, healthy and nutritious.
7: I mean, or you know, maybe some moldy fruit on yeah. your crew meal.
5: Yeah, yeah, bring or, your yeah. own.
7: <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> uh let's see. Steph, how have yes. you been? Good to see you.
7: Great, actually. Thank you for asking. It's mm-hmm. good to see you as well. Um let's see, you and you did uh the show with Liz last week, so mm-hmm. we were I not did. there for that. And yeah. um I know you show. kinda caught people. I did I did listen to it. How about that? Wow. I um I'll tell you when I listen to it here in a moment when I tell you what I did last weekend. Um so I know you kind of uh caught people up on the fact that we had a chance to get together and enjoy mm-hmm. a, some beers and a meal while you were in Charlotte on a layover uh, a couple of weeks two weeks ago now, I guess.
5: Mm-hmm.
7: And um, yeah, really nice to catch up with you as always in person. It's always a joy and a privilege. Um, and last weekend, um, I was in Chicago for the weekend, or let's just say Chicagoland suburbs, uh, near very near where I grew up um, for the wedding of one of my oldest dearest friends there's a group of us about five of us girlfriends who have known each other since at least second grade um and a couple of them even a little bit longer so that's 30 plus years at this point which uh, that's I'm proud of that that friendship that we've been able to maintain that for such a long period of time and most of them all still live in the area and I'm the only one that's like left and moved to a bunch of different places but um I think that's one of the nice really nice things about social media um, is that it's, it came into existence at a time when it allowed us to maintain those connections that we probably would have lost otherwise. So, um, yes, uh, one of, one of the last of us to get, to get married. Um, let's see, uh, I would be the last if, if that ever happens, but <laughs> we'll see. Um, so it was just really nice. It was just a quick weekend. Went up there, um, Friday night, um, after work, uh, got in a little later than I anticipated because I ended up having quite a long day of work on Friday, um, I was feeling under the weather a little bit last week, so I, I told myself it would be smart not to go into work on, uh, on Wednesday when I was feeling off, just make sure that it wasn't anything serious, I didn't expose anybody to any sort of germs or illness leading up to the holiday, that wouldn't have been very nice of me, it turned out to be just kind of a 24-hour bug thing, and fortunately I was feeling much better the next day, I was very thankful it was not COVID, because I would have been really upset if I wasn't able to travel for this wedding. Um, it was really important to me to be there. So unfortunately, um, all my Wednesday patients ended up on my Friday schedule. So I think I had like forty people at one point on the schedule, but I think I only saw three. But took the better part of my day, and thank goodness for same-day flight change um, stuff with with airlines. So pushed that flight back. Got in a little later than kind of planned on, but straight to the hotel and got some rest. Um, my other uh, two girlfriends that were attending the wedding—they uh, both have young families. Um, and they were like, well, what are you doing on Saturday? You know, the wedding starting at 5 p.m. You know, I was like, well, I we got this with the kids and that with the kids. And it turned out one was taking her son to uh, his hockey game, which was at the ice skating rink that I grew up ice skating at. Um, so I was like, oh, well, that would be a fun trip down memory lane to go back there. I haven't been there in probably 30 plus years as well. So went and it turns out they have not changed this place at all. It smells the same. It looks the same. I think the paint did get updated, but it got updated with the exact same paint, um, like scheme and everything. It's like original logos and stuff from probably the seventies or even earlier. Um, I'm not maybe. sure.
1: Um, <laughs> but there, yeah, you know, did, what about, uh, didn't you have some kind of an injury at a...
7: Oh yeah. I had a, I had an ice skating injury. Tony might not know this a couple weeks ago, the day before Thanksgiving. <laughs> okay. um, yeah. I, I've actually a decent ice skater. Like I said, I spent a lot of time at this ice skating ring taking lessons and things when I was a kid. Um... But I, you know, I was kind of just standing and turned kind of quickly to talk to my friend and tripped over my own foot and uh, landed hard on the ice and questionably broke my wrist slash bad strain, sprain. Um, I don't know. It's still, it's still, it's not nearly as swollen as it was. All the fun, you know, bruising and colors went away, but it's still stiff and it doesn't feel great to like put a lot of pressure through it, but it's getting there. It'll be fine. Just a flesh wound. Um, It'll be fine. It'll be fine. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so ironically, I'm at this ice skating rink watching a hockey game. Um, But that was a lot of fun. It was good to – her son was actually quite excited that he had a little cheering section, so got to cheer for them. They won the game. Um, And then we went – they went back to their house. I went to my hotel. We got ready for the wedding, and it was a very, very nice venue at um, the local arboretum. um, And they have this education center that can kind of doubles as a a reception center and venue, and they had it all nice and done up for the the wedding, so – that was that was really nice, and then the next day I actually spent time at my other friend's house with her family and her girls. Thank you. Uh, just a quick dogs. lunch before I got back on the plane and came back to Charlotte. But I don't miss the Chicago weather in the winter. Uh, it really wasn't that much different than it was here. <laughs> kind of gray, yeah. overcast. It was probably ten degrees cooler. It just felt, oh, I don't know, chilly and gray. And it gets dark at like four forty-five in the evening, in the afternoon.
5: Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They can they Chicago can in the wintertime, baby. <laughs> oh, yeah.
7: They can keep that. I don't need to live there anymore. But it's nice to go back and visit, and it was a really nice weekend. Nice. And that's the majority of what I've been up to. Well,
1: it was great seeing you in Charlotte, yeah. and I'm glad you had a great time for the wedding and mm-hmm. all the other stuff. So it's always good to see you on our show, Steph. Yeah. Um, Nick, uh, Camacho, uh, you don't seem to be in the normal uh, position that you're in uh, when we see you in no air uh, the air capital. Uh, so, but in a way, you are, um, I would say probably the birthplace the of birthplace aviation of
3: aviation, yeah, wouldn't
1: you? I
7: meant yeah. to address this when I got here, <laughs> except that I started talking about other things right away. Uh, but I, I actually was at my office in North Carolina uh, just a short while ago before. I came back home to be on the
3: show. And so you are not even at the faux birthplace of aviation. Oh, well, South Carolina doesn't South
7: have anything. To, I mean, yeah. you know, like <laughs> Boeing and Dreamliner stuff down in Charleston, but that's not only really, But they, they do advertise it on the license plates. I see that all the time.
1: First False advertising.
3: Birthplace of aviation <laughs> nonsense in Ohio. That's no, no, no. That's so. I, I will say, as a as a as a relatively neutral party here, um, if you went to the birthplace of aviation in North Carolina versus the birthplace of aviation in Ohio, there's like tons of super cool stuff here. And then out there you just go to the beach, right? Yeah, basically. Yeah. So Nothing wrong I mean, with that. do with that. Yeah. Way will. um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I am, I'm in Dayton, Ohio right now. Uh, I am at the very end of a long trip. Um, mostly work trip. I don't think I've been, I think it's, been almost a month since i've been on the show it's been a while, yeah. i was not on the show obviously i was not on the last show because i wasn't jeff and liz doing their high and tight show uh i was not on the show right after Were thanksgiving <laughs> um because i was preparing for a <laughs> test and didn't want to get hung up with stuff so yeah i think it's been about a month so <clears throat> uh if we rewind all the way back to there i um uh, a bunch of stuff has happened. I, I met with the DME that I was going to take the A&P testing with. He said, uh, I can't test you on all three in one day. That's too much. You can do two, and then we'll do the third one a separate day. But I don't have any time to test you until like the end of December. And I was like, ah, that's a bummer. And then on like the uh, Monday of Thanksgiving, which everyone was coming to my house, if if you recall, because my folks are like almost completely recovered from the tornado. But I said, uh, why don't we just do everything in my house so you guys don't have to worry about everything. You can finish up your stuff. So I already had that um, hanging over my head and more so my wife's head, running around and trying to get our house ready for everyone. Uh, And then the DME called me on like Monday and was like, hey, uh, so I have an opening now. Um, It's the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Do you want to uh, come test? And I was like, "Uh, yeah, sure, let's do it. So that turned that whole week into uh, getting ready for Thanksgiving and doing all this studying for uh, the general um, oral and practical in the airframe oral and practical. Uh, I survived Thanksgiving. No, um, no family fallouts. None of those exciting issues you see on Twitter these days. Uh, and then on Friday, while you guys were all studying or while you guys were all doing the show, I was um, studying. I was like focused in on studying. Saturday, I uh, went and took a test. Uh, passed both the general and the airframe test, so I now have a little card that says I am a mechanic. I, I am a... Uh, what does it say? I, I, I don't remember the classes, but it's... I, Brilliant, Jeff. Well the, the type is mechanic. The rating is airframe. And so I'm hoping to now uh, go back and initially I was hoping to go next week before Christmas and get tested for the power plant. But now I think it's going to be the week be- between Christmas and New Year's. So I've been on this trip. I've been studying for that. So, <laughs> oh.
0: so after, after all Happy holidays. The, paint, the
2: Happy worst holidays. possible time. Right. <laughs> I know.
7: I know. I don't know. I took a check right on my birthday one time. It wasn't
3: terrible. <laughs> What, before my and after
2: you went to the bar.
3: <laughs> yeah. I also got my multi-engineering around Christmas. Also incredibly stressful. Also ruined the holidays that year. You'd think I would have learned my lesson, but I didn't. Nah. Um, no. uh, so, yeah, then almost immediately after that, oh, took the test on Saturday. Uh, got to take my son to uh, a football game on Sunday, his first NFL football game. We went to watch the Chiefs play the Rams. So nice. that was a ton of fun. Oh, who won? Nice. Uh, the Chiefs did Oh, well, that's yeah. good. Nick has, uh,
7: Nick has some interest in the Chiefs. Yes.
3: I, do. Yes, I do. That's
2: yes. the only American football team I have any connection with. It, what oh, that's right. Cause
3: a, you, what, did you fly them or something? He flew the I empty the airplane in <laughs> okay. that
1: they were going to climb into and go to London. They don't trust the uh, Brits to actually fly them. But he did have the, to go to Kansas football. City. Well, they didn't trust so. me. But, uh, <laughs> I, don't just, <laughs> yeah. I don't
3: blame them. It was a little bit of a disappointment. I mean, uh, it was a minor letdown because my son is a... A huge Rams fan. Oh. And uh, the Rams are having a down year. And in addition to that, their quarterback was hurt. Their best player was hurt. Uh, I think their running back was hurt.
2: Well, they got like 150 They're, players. Their Which backup particular quarterback one was, hurt? was the best player?
3: He's uh, a guy named Cooper Cup. And he was actually like the best player in all of football last year. And he's hurt. So,
0: mm. okay. you
3: know, it was a, it was a uh, kind of a weak showing for them the chiefs kind of played down to their level. So it was a little bit of a bummer for me too, but um, he had fun as we were walking through the parking lot. I think one of the highlights for him was he had all of his Rams gear. And so as we're walking through the parking lot, like every fifth or sixth tailgate would have a couple of Rams guys, you know, and when they'd see him, he's eight. So when they'd see him with his Rams gear, they'd get super excited and they'd <laughs> go over and start high-fiving him and fist bumping him. Oh, that's neat. So he liked that. Yep. Yeah. Um,
2: How do you chest bump an eight year old? Fist bump. Fist bump. Oh, fist bump. Okay, right. Sorry.
7: <laughs>
2: I just, imagine, imagine this poor kid being knocked over by
1: all these. Oh, he's on the ground crazy. again. Like
7: clear, clear uh, across the parking lot. <laughs> boom. Yeah.
3: Boom.
1: Yep. Um, I don't know if I like this football thing. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so um, Do carry on. Uh, so, yeah. Then after that, I had a couple of days to recover from that. And then uh, hopped on an airplane. United Airplane with my dad and flew out to uh, San Luis Obispo, and then uh, worked, um, basically worked for two weeks, I guess, in in San Luis Obispo, which, as many of you know, that's where my office is. Um, The first weekend I was there, we had a um, memorial for Sherman Smoot. Unfortunately, the weather was horrible, so we had uh, four three other C-47s that were going to fly in, and we were going to have a four-ship missing man of C-47s. And then um, we had three or four fighters that were coming in uh, from Southern California, and nobody made it in because of the weather. It was just atrocious.
2: How sad. Um,
3: fortunately, it, uh, it lifted for maybe two hours on Saturday, just enough for us to do a little three-man missing man flight with our local airplanes there that uh, um, we're all a part of. So it ended up being a C-47 up front, a T-34, and a T-6. And then the T-6 was the pull guy.
1: Yeah, I saw that. Thank you for sending that video. That was pretty cool.
3: Yeah. And it uh, I think it ended up looking pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so that was, uh, you know, an all-day thing. It's a, a memorial. It's It's fun because you see a lot of people you don't see all the time, but they also suck <laughs> just by their nature. So um, went through that. And then uh, worked the next week. And then this past weekend, uh, my wife actually flew out to join me in San Luis Obispo because it was our, our my company's Christmas party. And so they flew all the spouses out, which was kind of neat. And so she got to meet a number of my coworkers who she hadn't met. And then we got to spend the rest of the weekend running around and seeing all the people she misses and doing all the things she doesn't get to do anymore. Unfortunately for her, the weather was like the exact same. So she went from like, low to mid fifties and dreary in Wichita, which is pretty decent December weather (laughs) to low to mid fifties and dreary and slow, which is pretty crummy, um, California, December weather. Um, and then on Tuesday flew out to Dayton and I've been doing some, um, work here in Dayton at, uh, the big employer here in the city.
1: Very cool. Very cool. So, uh, well, let's hear from Captain Nick and see what he has been up to. Oh, not much for me, uh, Jeff.
2: Um, things have been, uh, you know, everyone's getting ready for Christmas, so that's been our uh, main aim. Uh, been playing a bit of bowls. Uh, in fact, I'm still wearing my bowls gear from uh, tonight's match. Um, I played around with PTUK, if you pardon the expression, Uh doing their christmas show the other day that was fun uh but the only real uh, thing event of any great import for us has been uh, we've got a new family member so uh, you know uh they're in the middle or, or the two dogs on the end of that little trio uh are, are existing dogs and then they the very statuesque, uh, beautiful Hungarian Visla we have uh, adopted is in the middle. Um, her name is now Zeda, uh, which uh, also in some languages stands for Harris. She's a big uh, girl. She's you know big and strong and young and uh, is delightful company. Uh, a little bit of a handful. But she's uh, young, so she's still getting used to life, and she's uh, getting used to uh, being in our home. The family that had her before loved her dearly uh, and spent a lot of effort trying to uh, get her integrated into their family uh, as a puppy. And then, uh, you know, she's now 20 months old. Uh, But sadly, um, they have young children, and uh, one in in particular, there was a... Uh, just, uh, you know, the dog's very boisterous, so one of the youngsters didn't take to her. So they decided that they were best uh, placed um, to just move her on to another family. And we were the lucky recipients, so that's fantastic for us. Uh, she's an absolute darling. So that's a, that's a big thing in our family now, because uh, we're back to three dogs and uh, the uh, being uh, they're playing and looking after each other well. They're going to be firm friends, I'm sure. A little bit of teething trouble as they settle in, but we're not too worried about that. And, uh, so that's it, really. And uh, I've got a, uh, a match tomorrow and a big match on uh, Saturday. Uh, I'm getting through to the semifinals of the club uh, championship uh, in my local bowling club, playing a very strong player. So I'm not you know, not uh, confident at all. But I'm looking forward to the match because you know, give it your best. You might, you you never know what's going to happen on the day. So, looking forward to that on Saturday. Very good.
1: Well, I will tell you what, Zeta is really lucky to be in the family that she found herself got in.
2: That right. So. Oh well, it works both ways. We we are just delighted with her. She's so much. Like our very first Hungarian Wiesler, big, you know, healthy, happy, energetic girl. And she just suits us, you know, she's us down to the ground. So we're, we're really chuffed to have her with us.
1: That's nice. So, Liz, uh, when we did our little thing together uh, show on, what was it, Friday of last week? Tuesday. Tuesday. Yes. Yeah, I don't remember anything. Yeah, you're um, in the fog. Yeah, I'm in a fog. Uh, So I, I, I guess I flew a, yeah, I flew a trip with. um, Oh, that's right. I was on a trip when we recorded the show. That's right. I was on a trip with uh, First Officer Brent.
6: You're in Madison. Goodbye. Yep
1: and uh I was in Madison and uh, we we did a kind of an experiment and I think it worked out pretty well it was just kind of a one take kind of thing and it really and as you can probably tell from the show notes and the lack of chapter images on your um your podcast playing apps out there um it, you know we I didn't do any of that so that was kind of nice to be able to knock it out really really quickly because uh a lot of changes going on in uh, in my life I have been for the last couple of years actually, but it's all kind of culminating now um, into the present situation. Uh, the house, uh, the marital residence of uh, 21 years, uh, was was listed for sale, contracted, and actually closed uh, to I think our surprise uh, just a few days ago. Last week um, on Friday was uh, our half of the, um, of the closure and, uh, the, uh, buyers, um, did their, uh, half on, on Monday of this week. And, um, so the, I'm, it's, it's weird. It's, it's like, I'm completely out of the house and I cut my, I want to drive over there and, 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 you know, like pull into the drive. Oh, I can't, that's not my house anymore. It's somebody else's house. Uh, I actually did drive by there today because I was out running some errands. I'm thinking, I'm oh, just kind of curious to see what, you know, what's happening there. Uh, doesn't look like much yet. Um, but uh, that's, that's all done. And uh, so. Yeah. Well done, Jeff. That's, yeah. It must I'm, I'm, be a weight off your mind. It really is. It really is. Um, so. um I I think that I had mentioned um, on the show a few times that my plan, or I had shared with a lot of you, that my plan was until I get my uh, house on wheels sometime next year, uh, my motorhome, that I was just going to kind of stay in hotels and Airbnbs and that kind of thing between trips. And as it got closer and closer to the closing date, and I started having to think about okay, where am I going to stay? Where am I going to go? I thought, yeah, maybe. And, yeah. and Liz is making all kinds of horrible sounds and noises in the background right now going, yeah, that that's not going to happen. Um, she said, you know, I think maybe you'd be better off, you know, having like a home base kind of thing for the interim at, at least. And uh, so I thought, you know, maybe she's right. Uh, so I, at the last minute, when I came home from that trip that I was on last week, on Wednesday, you
7: got sick. On
1: yeah, I was. I, I did get sick on the on that trip, um, and I came home and uh, I thought, well, I have just enough time to go check out this apartment complex uh, in downtown Roswell before I go to the rehearsal for a special mass on Wednesday afternoon. And uh, so I, I I came by here. This is where I am right now, in the in this apartment complex in downtown Roswell. And I uh, took a look at a couple of apartments. Uh, basically, this is kind of a studio apartment. Uh, they call it a one-bedroom, but um, it's it's barely a one-bedroom. Uh, but it's enough room for me because I'm going to be transitioning to a much smaller space eventually. Um, so I looked at this, and then I, <laughs> I looked at uh, another place that was a, uh, what, what do they call it? Like, like a 55-plus active uh, plus the active community. adult communities. Yeah. And yeah. I have to tell you, the place was beautiful. The, the probably nicer apartment. So <laughs> when I'm in here, very quiet, very quiet. Um, but I could, the you thing that. couldn't do it. No, I couldn't do it because. When I was there to get the tour and that was the the next day, the Thursday. Oh, by the way, after I did the tour here, I went over to the church and I was at rehearsal and I was trying to sing. And as Liz mentioned, um, I, I was getting sick and I could not, my voice just wasn't there. I couldn't get the notes out that I needed to sing. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't. So the next day I visited this 55 plus active community apartment complex and, uh, I, I noticed that uh, the, the people that I did see that morning in this complex were like much older people, like all old ladies all walkers. with walkers. And I'm, I couldn't get it out of my head that that was the image that I had when I took care of my mother and visited my mother the last few years of her life uh, in, uh, in the care facilities that she was in. That's That's what it reminded me of. And I'm thinking, nope, I'm not, Not quite ready for this, and <laughs> yeah. so uh, as as beautiful a place as it was, I, I just said nope. Got to do, got to be. I'd rather be the the old man with a bunch of young people than a uh, the young whippersnapper in a place that has like incredibly old people. You know what I mean? When it's new, what was that? I don't know. That's weird. Anyway, did you, am I the only one that heard that?
7: No, no, I heard it.
1: Okay. Anyway, um, so uh, I immediately after I looked at that place, I came back over here and I said, yeah, I think I want this one. And so like within a day, I had already like started filling out the paperwork for this place. And um, the very next day, they were handing me the keys and everything else. So I've been in the place now for just a few days and I'm still kind of moving in and uh it's as i said it's in downtown roswell very close to all the fashionable you know bars and and night spots and restaurants and all that kind of stuff here in uh, in roswell which is really nice, it's nice to have a home because base, right? and it is yes yes liz you're correct it is nice to have a home base And not have to worry about, okay, where am I going to be staying now and where am I going to be staying tomorrow and everything else? So it's nice to have a place, but I have to be careful. I don't want to kind of get so settled in and start collecting stuff. And, you know, I need to make sure that I keep scaling down because eventually I will take delivery of the motorhome and uh, have to really, really, you know, be in a very small place. So um, anyway, uh, I love this. It's nice because I don't really do a lot of my own meals, you know, cook my, my own meals. I usually go out for dinner. So a lot of great places uh, to, uh, to go out to uh, within walking distance. So it's a great place for me. So there you go. That's where I am. This is my first Perfect. show in Excellent. the new APG headquarters. Uh, ha- I got a short-term lease, uh, then a month-to-month option after that. So depending on, I don't know for sure when I'm going to get delivery of the motorhome. I'm hoping somewhere between April Your and- the internet is Pausing a little bit oh, every no. now and then. So Internet's kind of acting up. Son a of a guy.
7: Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, so anyway, I have some flexibility. Uh, so when I get the uh, yeah. motor home next year, um, I'll be able to, you know, make a nice transition and then be on my way. So that's so your. So let's do the cover art and the okay. coffee fund, and then um, we'll go right into the plain tale. Okay. Uh, yeah, let's un- do the cover art, um, uh, control rooms t- telling us, uh, thank you, Nick, for, uh, taking care of that. That was the, uh, the shocking show. And of course we, our main news item on last show was the Mooney that flew into the, uh, to the, uh, telephone or well, not the telephone, Tower. the, uh, electrical, the yeah, the high tension power, um, towers and uh, outside of Maryland, um, or not in not outside of Maryland. Oh, you're um, really you really
7: freezing there, but Jeff. Okay. uh Oh,
4: you're really frozen.
7: You're very frozen. Uh-oh. Oh. Okay. There he went. Yeah. Captain Nick. Oh, he's take, back.
6: Ca- Guys take back. Captain Nick to take over with the art there.
1: Okay, uh, Captain Nick. Why don't you take over with the uh, artwork?
2: I got. I got artwork. Artwork. What am I take doing? Over, take over. <laughs> take artwork. over the artwork. All right, artwork. Yes, uh, Jeff asked me <laughs> to produce something. Uh, that had electricity involved so that was a very quick and dirty uh, image of and it's a good job that uh, we share a lot of uh, self. <laughs> Uh, amongst ourselves, amongst the crew, wherever we happen to be, because I keep a, a, a special file of those, and uh, one of those turned out to be <laughs> the perfect one to stick Jeff in. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, that was actually one of the simplest ones I've had to do, and, and it took me uh, probably half an hour or an hour. Okay. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, great. Uh, honestly, she's getting decent fonts. You know, you want a nice... Uh, sparkling electric font And you've got to go on the internet Try and find one So thanks very much indeed for uh, The provider
1: of that Excellent
6: And the Thank show you. number is uh, in?
5: The I couldn't find interview. the show number
6: It's right on the tip oh, of my t- yeah, right uh, tongue Now Jeff is
2: saying
1: the show number On, on, my fact, tip my on my the tongue. tip of his tongue <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, Got to really zoom in to see it Yeah
7: mm. I'll pass on yeah. that one
1: Oh, yeah! Oh. No, I'm just kidding.
7: Yeah.
1: You don't like, you don't like to see my
2: tongues the, uh, close up?
7: Oh, yeah, tongues. Yeah, uh,
2: yeah. Actually, I have to say your tongue was a strange color. I was a bit worried about your health at the time. So oh, boy. what I did was to tone down the rest of your face so your tongue didn't look so pale. Oh.
1: Should I go see the doctor?
2: <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I think the doctor would have been able to you know, tell something about you from your tongue there. Uh, the eyes are the other problem that the doctor would probably point out to you. <laughs> yeah.
6: That looks
7: like an electrical problem, though. I
1: think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, electric Okay, so let's
6: do yes. some quick coffee fun and then the plain tail. All
1: right. Is the oh, signal fun. good enough for us to continue, Liz? Uh, uh,
6: give it a try. Give it a try.
1: Okay, we're going to give it a try. Sorry, folks. This is... Uh, a. <laughs> Teething pains at this new place, apparently.
7: Oops. No. Oh, we're just going to look at me. Okay, good. Yeah. I like this.
1: Well, I didn't do that. Who did that? What Am I still there? here? You're,
7: You're there. still here. Uh, sort of. Well, I don't know what Kinda. happened. Kind of.
1: Well, who yes, selected? Yes, yes, <laughs> like
6: I don't know who selected
3: what.
1: Okay. Here, let me go to this. I didn't touch it.
3: Is Steph singing the coffee song? No, definitely not. Yeah, yeah, let hear that. I
7: am suddenly (laughs) am quite thirsty. My beverage ran dry, and need a physiologic break. So enjoy
1: singing.
5: There we go. I was waiting for the album to
1: come out too. Yes, I'm
7: still working on it, finishing touches.
1: Okay, Tony, sing with me. Johnny, how much more
0: coffee? No
1: thing. I love coffee. I love tea. tea. I love love the the APG. APG. Community. Community, coffee and tea, and, and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. A cup. Oh yeah, oh. <laughs> love it. Hey, the coffee fund is your way to support our show financially, and uh, a couple different ways to do that. Do One, ah, sorry, for the video. We do apologize for the. Uh, the, the, the bumpiness. Uh, so a couple different ways to do that. And that uh, one is the, uh, uh, the coffee fund classic method, the OG. If you can pop that up there, Liz. Yes, sir. We have uh, oh, several people. I, it's just that time of year. You know, we're getting close to the end of the year. It's the holidays. Uh, Daniel Kenber, Michael Smith, Sam Dawson, and Philip Biggin, or Big Gun. Hmm. I like that name. (laughs) I wonder if that's his real name. Hmm. Anyway, uh, thank you very much. Uh, Very, very generous donations from all of you. Thank you very much. And uh, the other way to participate in the Coffee Fund is to do it via Patreon. And one of those people that just did the uh, OG thing, Daniel Kember, also became a new patron of the show, a new executive producer. So thank you very much for that. So check it out. If you want to learn more about the coffee fund, head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. We will too.
5: Captain, incoming message.
1: Hey, we're going to start off this week's feedback with this from Joe from O'Hare. You sure it's not, Dick? No, I'm pretty sure. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Hello, APG, and the wonderfully talented Liz. Uh huh, sucking up. I see. Yeah, uh, he said, My last feedback was overlooked, so I figured out. No, I it wasn't. I, no, I, it, we just binned it, <laughs> it was ignored. <laughs> joking, joking, Joe. Well, I don't know, he may not be joking. Uh, no. on, on today's date, November 26, 2022. I received a notification on my Flight Radar 24 app of Allegiant Air Flight 9617 from Trois-Rivières, Canada, Uh, look it up, it's CYRQ, to Orlando Sanford International Airport, uh, which is KSFB. According to the app, this flight declared an emergency not very long after crossing into the United States. I continued to monitor the, fl- monitor the flight activity and side-referenced with my FlightAware app since the aircraft, an Airbus A319, never topped 10,000 feet and did not divert to an alternate airport, at least at the time of this email. I'm neither an, a mechanic nor am I a pilot. However, I have stayed at a Holiday Inn Express several years ago. Yeah, that makes you <laughs> almost qualified. <laughs> um yeah. Yeah. My first assumption, oh, by the way, for those of you, you probably didn't get the Holiday Inn Express commercials years ago where people were kind of in, in, in interesting situations that required uh, professional training like, say, 30, flying an airplane or a brain surgeon or whatever else. And, and they said, are you a doctor or are you a pilot? No, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, meaning ah, okay. they're so smart Because they stayed at a holiday. Or they're so well-rested. Or they're so well-rested. Probably more of the smart thing. But maybe both. Anyway, uh, we get back here to Joe's uh, feedback email that we're uh, ignoring again, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well, just being a little distracted, that's all. Uh, So so the uh, A319 never topped 10,000 feet and did not divert to an alternate airport. I am not a mechanic, nor am I a pilot. However, okay, my assumption is possibly a pressurization issue or a, fer- a ferry flight for maintenance in Florida. Now, <laughs> Joe-
2: ferries can't fly very high, that's why.
1: Joe, it's a ferry flight, you're, you, it sounds that way, but it's not spelled like ferry, like a little Tinkerbell ferry. Uh, ferry is F-E-R-R-Y, like when they're ferrying boats, you know, like across the river. Just uh, wanted to point that out.
2: Like yeah, I've done a yeah. few ferry flights, and they're completely different.
1: <laughs> well, I'm sure you have. Uh, we're not going to. We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> not going to mention those on that show, I guess, because uh, family show, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah. very good. Okay, so uh, if neither of my assumptions are correct, what could be the reason for operating a passenger flight at this flight level for such a long distance? I've included a screenshot from my phone as the flight was crossing over Raleigh North North Kakalaki North. There we go. Uh, I appreciate any feedback for this curious mind and hope all are well and enjoyed a happy Thanksgiving. Respectfully, Joe from O'Hare. And so, Joe, um, you know what? When I first read this, I was thinking it was a ferry flight all from the from the get go, from the very beginning. However, as you mentioned, it was. Well, it says it was declare it had declared an emergency not very long after crossing into the United States. Now that I don't get. If this was a to me, I I, I thought it was just a scheduled ferry flight to position the airplane back to uh, Orlando Sanford, which I think is one of the places where Allegiant has a a maintenance facility. To work on the airplane, and I think you're right. I mean, that's what I would suspect if an airplane's flying at ten thousand feet, that it's some kind of a pressurization issue. But and the other thing that I don't know how they do their numbering at Allegiant, uh, but at Acme, if there was a flight number that said nine six one seven or it's a four digit starting with a nine, that's always an indication that it is a, a maintenance ferry flight or some kind of a positioning flight and not a regular passenger flight. So. So I, other than the declaring an emergency part of it, uh, that's the only thing that's kind of tripping me up here. I'm not sure. Um, what, what do you think, Nick?
2: Uh, I could have started off as a ferry flight, and the situation might have got a little worse. Um, so that might be why they declared an emergency, but it might be one that they were happy to take to their maintenance uh, destination, um, because you know that's the best place to pick it up if it wasn't a really bad emergency. Um, uh, and it might also be because they were then forced to fly at a odd flight level, so they might say, "Well, this is probably easy to declare an emergency, so that air traffic can give us a decent service here at ten thousand. They don't continue to mess about with us."
3: Mm, um, no.
2: But yeah, I'm with you, hundred uh, percent. Almost certainly a. Um, you know a, a ferry flight um now why they didn't climb above 10 um i think uh, joe's quite right he's he probably hit the nail on the head in that uh pressurization problem would inhibit the flight to 10 or below um which is absolutely fine there's nothing nothing wrong with that um the only other thing is that it might be uh, an engine fault uh because they might not have had the performance to climb much above ten, but having said that, why would they do a long flight with an engine out? Don't think that would be necessarily the most sensible thing. But they might have said, "Well, well there's lots of diversions. If we need, if this, if the other engine starts looking a bit iffy, well, there are plenty of places for us to go. It's not like we're." Midway across the Atlantic, and there's nowhere to go, so we, we're definitely going to divert. Mm-hmm. So, it might have been that. Uh, it might have been an undercarriage problem where they stuck with the undercarriage down, so they didn't want to climb, you know, with all that drag. Having said that, if I was flying with the undercarriage down, I'd probably go after the low 20s at least, mm-hmm. where performance and fuel consumption wouldn't be as bad. Um, but so uh, the, I think my uh, alternatives are pretty ropey uh, suggestions. Yeah. So I think pressurization would be top of the list.
1: Yeah, I think this was planned as a maintenance ferry flight. I think that maybe the app, Flight Radar 24, was an error when it said it was a, an, an emergency flight. Um, yeah, yeah so right, that's quite possible. It was probably just a planned maintenance ferry flight, 10,000 feet. Yeah. If it only had like one air conditioning pack out of service, then they'd be up there around twenty-four 000 or 25,000 feet. Um, but I think when you have both, you know, the entire pressurization system is out. You got to stay at ten or something close to that. Uh, and yeah. you know they had to fuel plan for a very long, you know, flight. That was a lot of fuel burn. That was like a three over three-hour flight.
6: A here.
1: Uh here. Hillel says it could just have been that their 0 B O two wasn't available. Oxygen. Onboard oxygen. Yeah, that's eh, that is possible. Yeah, uh, that is possible. Yeah,
2: that would that would be possibly restrict the crew. Although I. We don't just use oxygen for a depressurization event. Uh, we also use it for, um, you know, if there's a, a smoke issue in, in the cockpit. We might use our masks then. Uh, so I don't know if that restriction would just be for that. But uh, Yeah. Uh, and if if they didn't have packs, they wouldn't take packs on a depressurized airplane. But they, I suppose they might take packs if there was no... Oxygen down the back, and do the whole flight at ten.
1: Yeah, I don't know. There are just
2: too many. Good
1: one, one, Hillel. Too many question marks here uh, about this. Um, In fact,
2: Halal's just given a question (laughs) mark. Yeah. yeah. Question mark.
1: Yeah. Again, that's a great. uh, That's a great answer. I don't don't know. We don't know. know. (laughs) But Joe. Good hearing from you. I believe I met Joe um, at the. uh, We had a meetup. Many years ago, up at, uh, in, Chicagoland, at sh- in Chicago land, at in Chicago itself, actually. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to do that again sometime soon. Thanks for so sending this in the
2: place, uh, uh, Trois Rivières. Rivieres is, yeah, is that Riviera. where the term Menage a Trois came from?
1: No. <laughs> oh, okay. That no, must be somewhere else. Would that mean I've three rivers? A,
2: it is three rivers. Well, Helen thinks so.
1: Yeah. It yeah. is. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's move on, shall we? Uh, we'll do oh, one, more fee- one more piece and of piece of feedback, then, then we'll go to the yep. plain tail, which is what everybody's here yep. for anyway. So we're just <laughs> dragging it out the as <laughs> mark. far as we can or as long as we can. Okay, uh, Mazzuts, uh, who is a uh, strong and consistent. And generous uh, contributor coffee to our show, order. to our coffee fund. Uh, he says, "Dear all, hope you are keeping well." Oh, and we met Mazuts up uh, in uh, what was it—the 400th uh, episode at celebration yeah. at the Brooklands in uh, in England. Ah, brilliant! Um, very nice to meet you, Mazuts. Uh, and he is not only a contributor to our show, but several fine aviation podcasts out there. So, thank you very much for supporting aviation podcasting. Anyway, he says, Hope you are all keeping well and enjoyed your Thanksgiving festivities. Following on from recent discussions about Cirrus parachute systems, I see it's been another less than ideal week for the company with a couple of incidents. And uh, this one here, we have a picture on the screen, is uh, uh, one of those vision jets, one of the uh, Cirrus jets with its parachute deployed. And uh, that, par- that parachute reminds me of something. It, it's like, reminds me of. Socks or a stocking Christmas. or something. It looks like it's like yes, a It does look a bit like a Christmas yeah, stocking. Oh, yeah, here, that's a Where's Waldo hat, uh, according to Liz. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that's <you> it. <laughs> uh, nice one. Where's Cirrus? Yeah. Uh, where's the he said, I see that the first one uh, involved a deployment of the parachute and that the, the, the authorities reported, quote, Mr. Borup was uninjured and only had wet feet from walking out of the pond. The aircraft also looks somewhat soggy, though. And then in the second oh, incident, that firefighters provided basic life support to the pilot who refused treatment due to lack of injuries. I wonder what treatment they would have provided if he hadn't Refused.
2: A colonoscopy, I think, was the standard oh, okay. sort wow. of that thing.
1: A field colonoscopy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm fine. Thank you oh
2: very much. I'm feeling a lot better now. Oh,
1: wow. Yeah. The mobile
2: colonoscopy
1: unit. <laughs> the, the mobile colonos- colonoscopy uh, unit. Uh, MCU. MCU. <laughs> okay. Bring in the MCU. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Liz. Um, <laughs> I can't, can't try to imagine what Liz has <laughs> come up with. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know what I need to do. I need to bump. I, I hate to do this actually. Uh, bump up her volume because <laughs> that's usually a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but let me but uh, volume, but let me the pump the up her volume a little bit so I can hear, hear all the cute oh, little well things she's saying. Oh,
7: he must have gotten.
1: Oh, he may have gotten a sobriety test. Yeah, yeah. possibly. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. 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 No wet pants. <laughs> Hello, I boxes. Hey, our our, our uh, audience is, is swelling. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. So, uh, yeah, yep. it's just that the people we're getting uh, there's not many of Low them. Quality. They're always the worst kind, Got worst quantity, possible kind. Oh, Mash is there? Uh, that might offset it a little bit. Oh, and Pip. Oh, he's on okay. the, the negative side. I'd
1: say <laughs> it takes away from. That. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Uh, Okay, anyway, uh, do I need to read this about the uh, Palm Bay uh, single jet? Yeah, uh, shortly after takeoff Friday morning from Indianapolis Regional Airport, Timothy Borup's Cirrus Vision Jet SF-50 started sputtering and stalling. I hate it when the jet engine starts (laughs) sputtering and stalling and the plane started to nose up and lose power. I hate it when that happens too. Oh, Uh, yeah, you don't
2: want to jet up your nose. No,
1: No. (laughs) no, you don't. Uh, anyway, let's see, uh, they, they ended up getting, going into a retention pond near Interstate 70, west of Greenfield, Indianapolis. Uh, um, went into what kind of a pond? A retention, uh, that kind of goes along with the colonoscopy, um, Oh, okay. Right. Okay, yeah. so it retains jet airplanes, does it? Apparently it does. Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. Cool. In this case, cool. this one. Yeah, How anyway. Yeah, not a great wake, week for uh, Cirrus, but, uh, hey, those, uh, Those parachute systems uh, seem to do the trick, and uh, are a Uh great selling point for them. All right, you know what? Uh, We could just talk on and on and on about this, but uh, we're not. We're not doing that. We're going to go ahead and uh, play this episode's uh, installment of the old pilots' plane tales, and this one entitled "Where Is It." the
2: 12 crashes of christmas thank you <laughs> you're welcome <Here> we go.
1: <laughs> okay now go go now go play please play play pretty please the 12 crashes of christmas there we there go,
0: we
2: go. <laughs> the old pilot's plane tails the 12 crashes of christmas the 12 days of Christmas are generally thought to run from the 26th of December to the 6th of January, and is an important period of religious celebration. Or, for those of us who observe Christmas in a more secular manner, it's more likely to be a traditional time of recovery following our holiday excesses and to welcome in the new year. The most common reference to the period is probably found in the English carol, The Twelve Days of Christmas, the words of which were first published in the late 18th century, and tell of the twelve gifts given to a true love during the period. Of course, those of us in the aviation industry often remember dates by events that occurred on a particular day, and The most memorable are often the most tragic. With that in mind, I present to you the 12 crashes of Christmas. On the first day of Christmas, the Tupolov Tu-144 Soviet supersonic airliner went into service flying mail and freight between Moscow and Almorata. It had a troubled life, which many put down to errors made during the rush to bring it into service before the Anglo-French Concorde. Later that year, it was to be involved in an appalling crash during the Paris air show, which shocked the world and is still the subject of conspiracy theories. A little-known fact is that the prototypes were the only passenger jets ever fitted with ejector seats, albeit for the crew and not the passengers. It would only ever fly 55 flights with passengers on board, but was certainly the fastest freighter in the world in a time when same-day delivery was still a pipe dream. On the second day of Christmas, Apollo 8 splashed down in the Pacific Ocean, ending the first flight to take man beyond Earth orbit to circle the moon ten times and then return safely. Frank Norman, James Lovell and William Anders were the first humans to gaze upon the far side of the moon and witness an Earth rise. Sadly, it also saw the demise of United Airlines Flight 34 in 1936. The Boeing Model 247D, which was out of San Francisco, bound for Los Angeles. On trying to let down through cloud, the crew flew the aircraft into the Newell Pass, descending below the level of the surrounding mountains. Certainly ahead, the weather was allowing aircraft to arrive and depart Burbank Airport with no appreciable delays, which may have influenced the behaviour of the pilots, but in their current position they were unable to find a clear path through the cloud. The Boeing struck a ridge at the head of Rice Canyon, which resulted in the death of all on board and the complete destruction of the aircraft. On the third day of Christmas, CIA pilot Mili Vojvodic Jr. took a Lockheed A 12 ox cart for a functional check flight after a period of deep maintenance. Seconds after takeoff from Groom Dry Lake, Nevada, the aircraft yawed uncontrollably, merely ejecting at 100 feet, only 30 meters, after only six seconds of flight, escaping serious injury. An investigation discovered that the pitch stability augmentation system had been connected to the yaw actuators and vice versa. The connectors were changed to make such wiring mistakes impossible. Said Kelly Johnson in a history of the oxcart programme, It was perfectly evident from the movies taken of the takeoff and from the pilot's description that there were some miswired gyros in the aircraft. This turned out to be exactly what happened. In spite of colour coding and every other normal precaution, the pitch and your gyro connections were interchanged in rigging. On the fourth day of Christmas, a mighty C-130 Hercules landed at an airbase in northern Iraq late in the night of December 29, 2004. It appears that the MC-130 Talon II special operations aircraft was destroyed when it landed on a runway that was described as being one brick short. Previously, a C-23 Sherpa had operated into the airfield and saw construction equipment on the runway, yet there wasn't a no tam warning of the work in progress. A huge, unmarked trench was being dug there, so the Sherpa landed long, beyond the problem area. Despite passing this safety information up the chain of command, Several days later, the Hercules made a night landing there and ended up falling into a large pit in the runway. Fortunately, although there were several injuries amongst the 11 passengers and crew, nobody died. On the fifth day of Christmas, 1933, Imperial Airways were flying an Avro-10, named Apollo, to Croydon Airport in London from Cologne in Germany. They were planning to land en route at Harran Airport in Brussels. During the flight, they encountered fog, so deviated north of the expected route and descended to only 250 feet in order to stay visual with the ground. Their new routing took them into an unexpected area, within which were a group of eight very low-frequency radio masts, the Zendmasts of Ralschleder. One of those masts rose to a height of 942 feet, 287 metres, and was built to transmit on a frequency of 16.2 kHz. Despite being illuminated, the visibility prevented the crew from sighting the guy wires, and the Avro 10 hit one, ripping the wing from the stricken craft. It crashed in flames, and workers from the radio station as well as local villagers ran to help the two crew and eight passengers. One passenger survived the crash but sadly died later and several of the rescuers suffered burns. King Albert of Belgium awarded Camille van Hove the Civic Cross First Class for his efforts in attempting to rescue the victims of the crash. On the sixth day of Christmas, 1940, a vicar's Wellington bomber of number 20 Operational Training Unit from RAF Lossiemouth, suffered a starboard engine failure at 8,000 feet in a snowstorm during a training flight over the Great Glen in Scotland, home of Loch Ness and its fabled monster. The pilot ordered his crew of six trainee navigators and the tail gunner to bail out all escaping safely save the gunner. Sadly, his parachute failed to open. The pilot then spotted Loch Ness through the clouds and successfully managed to ditch the aircraft near the A-82 before escaping the sinking machine along with his remaining crew member. Forty-five years later, the wreck was discovered by side-scan sonar and the rare Wellington was carefully raised from the cold depths of the loch. It was painstakingly restored at Weybridge, where she was built, and is now on display at the Brooklands Museum, one of only two known intact Wellingtons. On the seventh day of Christmas, 1917, a motley crew of Royal Navy aviators were given the task of flying from Manston, in England, to Villa Villacruble, in France, in a brand new, handy page Type O-100 bomber. Then the largest aircraft in the world and powered by the new 320-horsepower Rolls-Royce Eagle V-12 water-cooled engines, the bomber could carry up to 2,000 pounds of bombs and was highly secret. Having become lost over the continent, they decide to land to ask for directions. Unfortunately, they put this highly valuable aircraft down near Chalandre, close to Loan, which was behind German lines. Before they could either burn the machine or take off again, a German infantry patrol captured them and their intact bomber. Having gifted the enemy this remarkable heavy machine, they were destined to spend the rest of the war behind barbed wire. The aircraft, however, was a treasure trove of information for the Imperial German Army, who painted it in German markings and flew it themselves. Even the Baron von Richthofen was reputed to have flown the machine at a display in front of the Kaiser. On the eighth day of Christmas 1914, the early aviator Gustav Hamel, who had performed the loop-de-loop manoeuvre in late 1913, took Eleanor Treehawk Davies aloft to experience the daring aerobatic feat, and thus she became the first woman in the world to do so. Born in Hamburg, Gustav learned to fly at the Bleriot School in France, being awarded the 64th Royal Aero Club's Aviator Certificate in 1911. A keen aircraft racer, he flew from Brooklands to Hendon in a record 17 minutes and participated in the Gordon Bennett race. He delivered the first official airmail in Britain in his Blerio 11 to Windsor and carried the first lady passenger across the English Channel, the first of twenty-one crossings he would make. He died before reaching the age of twenty-five when he disappeared over the Channel he had crossed so many times in a brand-new moraine solnia. He had just collected. No trace of the aircraft was ever found. On the ninth day of Christmas, 1496, in a field outside of Florence, Italy's Leonardo da Vinci decided to test out his now famous flying machine. This genius of a man was a painter, inventor, and visionary, and he gave us such renowned works as the Mona Lisa, the Last Supper, and the Vitruvian Man. Even though Leonardo invented many things, perhaps his most daring was his flying machine. The design for this invention was clearly inspired by the flight of winged animals, which da Vinci hoped to replicate. In fact, his notes mentioned bats, kites and birds as sources of inspiration. The flying machine had a wingspan that exceeded 33 feet, and the frame was made of pine and covered in raw silk to create a light but sturdy membrane. Sadly, his ornithopter with its spinning pedals, hand cranks and flapping wings was never going to fly successfully. On the 10th day of Christmas, the Brooklyn Dodgers became the first professional sports team to own its own aircraft when it placed an order for a Convair 440 Metropolitan Airlines. The team paid a little over three-quarters of a million dollars, which in 1957 values puts the airliner at over $8 million in today's money. It was, if you'll excuse the pun, a steal, since they piggybacked the purchase onto an existing order for 20 of the Convairs by Eastern Airlines. Apart from adding an autopilot to the aircraft, they were identical to the eastern ones, including having their Eagle logo on the tail. Their pilot was Harry R. Bump Holman, who became the chief pilot for the Dodgers until he retired from flying to run the family businesses. After the team moved to California, they sold their Convair, which went to Spain, and bought a Lockheed Electra. By 1978, the Convair was being operated by the Transport Aereo Militaire Boliviano, a civil transport airline of the Bolivian Air Force, under the registration TAM-45. An engine problem forced the crew to return to San Ramon Airport, and on landing, the aircraft ran off the runway into a ditch and was damaged beyond repair. Happily, no one on board was hurt. On the 11th day of Christmas, 1939, Amelia Mary Earhart was formally declared dead, 18 months after her disappearance, during her second attempt to circumnavigate the globe. The first had ended in disaster when her Electra entered an uncontrollable ground loop during takeoff from Honolulu in Hawaii. Earhart thought she had lost a tire or that the undercarriage had collapsed, but Mance, her chief technical advisor, thought it was Amelia's error. Whilst the Electra was being repaired, Earhart and her husband, George Putnam, secured funding for another attempt this time with Fred Noonan as her sole companion. They reached Papua New Guinea successfully and then took off again heading for the tiny Howland Island, two kilometres by half a kilometre in size and only three metres above sea level, which lay over 2,000 miles and 20 hours of flying away. To aid her, the US Coast Guard cutter, Itasca, was positioned at the island and would broadcast radio transmissions which Earhart and Noonan could home in on. The radio direction-finding equipment on Amelia's aircraft, however, had been fitted only just prior to the flight and she would not have been familiar with it. In addition, it's possible that the belly-mounted DF antenna was damaged when the Electra, heavy with fuel, taxied and took off. As Earhart approached the island, the cutter could hear her clearly, but she was apparently unable to hear voice transmissions from the ship. Calls were received as well as a request to give a bearing to fly, but the ship's direction-finding equipment wasn't able to home in on the frequencies being used. The electra should have been close, but they were unable to assist them. The last clear message was in Morse and stated, Itasca, we must be on you, but cannot see you, but gas is running low, being unable to reach you by radio. We are flying at 1,000 feet. The ship made smoke and they listened as, broken by static, a few more words were passed, indicating that they were flying in a line north and south. As the endurance time of the Electra came and passed, nothing more could be confirmed as coming from the lost aircraft. On the very same day, two years later, the renowned British Aviatrix Amy Johnson was doing war work as an air transport auxiliary pilot delivering aircraft of all types around the United Kingdom. During a filthy night flying an airspeed Oxford from RAF Presswick in Scotland to RAF Kidlington near the city of Oxford in England, she became lost. The next time she was seen was over the Thames River in London where she abandoned her aircraft and parachuted into the water. Despite the heroic actions of a barrage balloon tender commander who dived in to help, Amy sank into the dark waters never to be seen again. Lieutenant Commander Fletcher succumbed to the cold and also
1: died.
2: On the twelfth day of Christmas 1940, Jorma Savanto of the Finnish Air Force finished off six Soviet Illusion DB-3 bombers in as many minutes. A single member of the Formation of Seven escaped his rampage, but was later brought down over the Gulf of Finland by Lieutenant Per-Erik Solvilius. The Winter War began within weeks of the start of World War II, when Soviet forces invaded the country, and after 105 days, Finland was forced to give up border areas of its own land, amounting to some 9% of its territory. The Finnish Air Force acquitted itself well, claiming 200 enemy aircraft for the loss of 62, often operating from forward air bases, little more than a windsock, a telephone, and a few tents, all on a frozen lake. Jorma would go on to become Finland's leading ace with a total of 17 kills by the end of World War II. His actions in the war would go a long way to ensure that the homeland of Father Christmas, or should I say the Yule Goat, Jule Pukki, an ugly half-man-half-goat that frightened children and could become invisible, would remain in Finnish hands.
1: It. I love the uh, the holiday touches to the, uh, to the slides. <laughs> I beg your pardon.
2: <laughs> I don't think Father Christmas is allowed to do those. My favorite was the Yule goat. Uh, yes, you know, Yukopaki. I d- didn't realize Finland had a thing, a creature that was half man, half goat, and was used to frighten children. And in the depiction, the uh, old drawing, which is uh, quite genuine, um, he's there <laughs> boiling a child. And mm. if you look at the bag beside him, which would normally be full of Christmas presents, you could just see a pair of Charles' hands coming oh, out of nice. the top. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently the Yule goat was used to frighten children into submission over Christmas when they were feeling a bit naughty, I suspect. <laughs>
1: uh, they have such holiday spirit there. They hunt.
2: do, and yet everyone leaps on airplanes and flies to Lapland, where the yule goat traditionally comes
6: from. <laughs> so I hope I I'm ha- boxes go- seems to
2: You know people about
1: are being guy. missold. Stop yeah. going there. I hope boxes jokes. seems to know a little bit about this subject. Apparently,
2: apparently, yes, he's got the spelling. Looks Oolopukki pretty.
1: Right Pakeli, Pa-keli.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: I have no Jopukki,
2: idea. Yes. Um, I, you need to check my pronunciation. If they, we have any Finnish listeners, I realize
1: you might have finished listening now, but uh, if <laughs> if you haven't, well, I heard you that could at the very in... beginning. The Finnish Air Force finished off. Done, finished off. Right <laughs> you again. got that? You? Uh, okay. Yeah, though. I picked up on that <laughs> yeah. right away. Hey, but my favorite though was, uh, and I was d- I was doing something in the background, listening intently, of course. And I heard of the the year 1496. I'm thinking what 1496? What is he done? And then I see the Da Vinci thing, and of course Masha's uh, that was her favorite uh, image, uh, the strategically placed balls. I'm I'm assuming that she's talking about <laughs> yeah. that.
2: <laughs> yeah, the baubles. Yes, exactly. Oh, right. yes, You've got to watch out for your baubles. <laughs> yes, uh, he was reasonably well endowed, actually. The uh, Vitruvian Man. Uh, I'm not going to remove the ba- baubles. So you can check for yourself. But that's uh, <laughs> right. We can do
7: our own research. He was yeah.
2: doing
1: okay. All right. Well, that's good to hear.
6: Thank you, Nick.
1: Good to know. <laughs> well, that was uh, that was an interesting uh, plain tale for sure. And uh, and well, I, it I, is Christmas. I do uh, the, do love the little uh, holiday you know f- finishings off touches in the uh, in well, the well. There's one on there.
2: every on every one of those pictures, yep. including yep. Uh, one where the Father Christmas is hidden in the crowd. Hmm. Uh, and he's also flying a couple of the airplanes, so you've got to take yeah, a look at those if you get a yeah. chance.
1: Very good, very good. Well, thank you so much for for that. I think love it. No yeah. problem. Um, all right, number five. We're going to go over to uh, feedback number five. Let's see you if have we can knock out a ready? couple more of these. I'm not going to play the video, Liz. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, you know what? I might okay. be able to do that in the background. Hang on. Um, but I'm not going to, because I don't know, this is somebody's copyrighted work and
7: yes, it's okay. I don't want no,
1: to, I, I don't want to get in trouble. Yep. Um, it's not like it's a news item or anything, but, uh, yep. I'm still trying to find it. Maybe I can just play that in the background. You can kind of get a little, like a little feel for it. Um, where is it? Here it is. And open. And if you want to, here, I'll do that. Add a there are thousands of
5: airports connecting cities across countries and continents, yet with just... There you go.
1: Little teaser. We're still playing a little bit of the video in the background for a B-roll. Uh, so this video to which um, Craig refers, uh, Craig Messerman in uh, Missoula, Montana, he said, I hope you are doing well since Oshkosh. Wait. I know how you are all doing, and i 'm glad as well uh, here in Montana. We have an early cold, snowy winter going since a very warm october i 'm still slaving I'm gonna, away I'm stop
4: the video now
1: okay teaching physics and other sciencey stuff, but thinking about a new phase after thirty four years in the classroom. Wow. Uh, I'm glad you way, pronounced
2: that right because when I saw it, I said I'm teaching
1: psychics,
2: and, I, <laughs> and I'm going
1: what? Well, he might be doing that <laughs> as well on his on his free t- in his own time, uh, but in, in the classroom, he's teaching physics uh, and and other sciency stuff, um, which is a real word apparently. Um, but 34 years, I just mentioned <laughs> earlier in this show, which was actually yesterday. <laughs> long story. Yes. Um, but uh, that I uh, was celebrating yesterday on the 15th. No, actually, that was two days ago. What was that Thursday? Uh, the 15th, um, Thursday, I was celebrating my 34 years at Acme. Uh, <laughs> so well, I guess we started, to, uh, he started teaching about the same time I started flying for the airlines. Anyway, so maybe a medical and a check ride in the near future. Anyway, this new uh, video that we were playing a little bit of on airport codes is excellent. I think you all will love it. Okay, so we're going to have a link to it in the show notes so that everybody can watch the whole thing. Um, he says, take care and happy holidays to all. Your patron, uh, Craig Messerman. Thank you for being a patron, Craig, in Missoula, Montana. And uh, Teresa, Craig, and Forrest Messerman on Patreon. Awesome. Brilliant. yep
2: well I enjoyed the the video enormously and uh, you know I I still am amazed that so many airports have such excellent three uh, letter identifiers that you can easily work them out because mm-hmm. it's it's better for the countries that were established at the beginning of um, civil aviation you know mm-hmm. like America and Great Britain and France etc um, the countries have sort of followed on. <laughs> Later, eleven don't quite so well. No, (laughs) but uh, no, I think it's great.
1: Yeah, Uh, Pip is complaining a little bit, or or stating a fact here about real pilots use four-letter ICAO codes. Okay, yeah, which
2: which are very confusing often.
1: Yes, especially the Canadian ones. They all begin with a C for some reason. It's weird.
2: Yeah, I know. know, What is that? United States? What are your codes begin
1: with? Okay. Yeah. I don't know why. Just don't ask me why. I'm sure there's a reason. That why. was a great choice.
2: I mean, you had the almost the entire
1: alphabet to choose and you chose K. I I don't know. I'm sure somebody out there knows the answer <laughs> to it. There's some
6: history there, I guess. Yeah. Uh,
1: let's see. Oh, um, how many how much time do we have left, Liz? Uh, just a little oh, hours. 15
6: minutes. Just a little over 15 minutes.
1: Okay. Um, let me. I'm going to skip that one. Let's skip down yeah, to, do you want to do, um, uh, Adams,
6: Adams. Well, uh, uh, I'll, I'll do Richard that in a and- second.
1: Let me do uh, Sean okay. first, number nine.
6: Okay. Yep.
1: Uh, 50 plus years after the first one took off, the last 747 rolls off the factory floor.
6: And this Hooray. is fun from fly
1: <laughs> That was not supposed <laughs> to elicit. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, a cheer. Well, did someone
2: forget to put the chocks in or something? Why yeah, it did it rolled run right off. off. The factory line? I think
1: they were able to fix it. <laughs> uh, this is from flyingmag.com, dot com, and uh, it, there's a picture of it there in the uh, show notes and on the video. And of course, it is the uh, in the Atlas Air colors, and yeah. uh, so they're they're picking up the last one.
2: Uh, uh, yeah, that's Charles Atlas's airline, isn't it? It is.
1: Yeah, yeah only strong guys fly it. Yeah, I think I yeah. think so. Yeah. We'll have to look that one up. All right. Uh, so there you go. Um, link to that article is in Flying Magazine. Uh, that'll be in the show notes. Thank you, Sean. Uh, yeah,
2: for the spotters out there, don't panic. They, that airplane's going to be flying for the next 25 years. Oh, yeah. So a lot of you will be dead before the uh, 747 stops flying.
1: Yeah. That's uh, I- oh, so, a nice Christmas it, it uh, thinks he port. knows
6: why
4: a K was used. I don't know.
1: Okay, I hall boxes uh, regarding the I K O. The K uh, for the U.S. was assigned to keep codes randomly separated.
2: Oh, okay. Sure. So we got uh-huh. E for England, but you got K for America.
1: Yeah, that Fair doesn't enough. make a lot of sense <laughs> to me. That really not much does these days. Um. Oh, you want to play? <laughs> this is an interesting one. We we'll have a little fun with this one. Um, or do we have enough time to uh, talk about what the Austin, doing? the uh, number sixteen? We do. Go
2: on, stretch it out.
1: Yeah,
6: yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay.
1: Uh, all right. Uh, let me load that up. Let me load that baby up. Take this one off.
4: That'll be our last one, I think.
1: Okay. Um, present and video file, and here we go. Okay, we're going to play some some audio from uh, liveatc.net and uh, it uh regards a uh, an occurrence over the radio on a ramp at the Austin Bergstrom International Airport in Austin, Texas. Being such a pussy. <laughs> so <laughs> so basically he's telling them he can kind of angle toward the uh, uh apron exit to golf 1. Uh, and avoid the, the southwest, or at least get in his way, so he would have to stop uh, his pushback. Uh, but he he doesn't. He stays on his line, and uh, we'll continue.
4: Okay, sir, so I'm saying Golf 1 is ahead of us. So he just pushed back in front of us, and uh, not enough room for the turn. Oh,
1: that's the right. captain's
4: coming. Incredibly on,
2: poor. Incredibly
4: poor. Oh, here. Yeah.
2: Okay. <laughs> you knew. You can't do
4: motion. that. Golf. Virgin 232 golf heavy and ground. Yeah, we uh, anticipate, first time of being in here, sir. And uh, we were approaching uh, Gulf 1, and the southwest continued to push. Uh,
6: he is a
4: bad boy. To speak, honest, <sighs> and the ground handler saw us when there was the gate before the push, and uh, I've never very seen naughty. anything quite like it. Sir. <laughs> it's very naughty. Virgin 222 two golf heavy, roger. Unfortunately, sir, the Ramstein controller, I have no control over who. Pushes. Okay, we will we'll be filing on this uh, Virgin uh, 232 golf. Roger.
1: I'm not sure where that's going to go. Ground Southwest.
2: Uh, <laughs> 1016 beam 12 push. Uh, All yeah, right, taxi. Southwest 1016 Austin Ground, runway
4: 36 left taxi via Golf 1, Southwest. Hotel,
2: Charlotte. you just got to put your Ground hands in the air south and
4: go, early, <laughs> uh, two, uh, <laughs> Yeah. West,
1: There's some hurt feelings here. Uh, Don't so worry. West,
4: 1016, uh, just out of interest, did you actually see us, though, as uh, you're pushing yep. back?
1: We couldn't care less. <laughs> That's how they
0: were already
4: pushing us. Hey, we, you were not so, but uh, we'll file. Thanks.
1: Okay, okay I'm just to, yeah. What I'm stopping for a second because the pilots, unless they were listening to the radio, which they probably weren't, had no idea any of this is going on behind them, and yeah, they're just yeah. relying upon the 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 tug driver, the pushback person, to clear behind the airplane and push them back. So the pilots, as you yeah. said, he didn't know that they were back there until they were in the midst of their push, and they heard. Him kind of complaining about the fact, you know? Um, Good yeah. point. All right. Like somebody's not used to little freedom. Now, that was <laughs> <laughs> unnecessary.
6: Patience is a virtue.
1: All these little snarky comments. Yeah. Red coats are coming. That was especially unnecessary. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, it's uh, what you expect in the average American uh, airport. <laughs>
6: well, do you? <laughs> <used to it. laughs> I don't oh, usually you, hear uh, that. Actually, <laughs>
2: passes. You can enter Golf One
6: Delta Twenty. Oh, it's a Dreamliner. Is it? oh.
1: mm-hmm. Okay, there you go. So that was the uh, a Delta flight coming in uh, to the to the ramp. Uh, yeah. So I, you know, as you as the Virgin pilot mentioned, first time there, they don't understand how that whole thing works and. And it's kind of weird because there are a lot of those kind of airports, mid-size airports in the U.S. that are the ramps are uncontrolled. So uh, it's kind of a it's definitely kind of a Wild West um, operation there, you know, <laughs> yeah. and you serve, and you rely upon people being courteous, you know, and uh, sadly, uh, there are certain airlines out there that uh, if they see the opportunity to gum it up for somebody else, they'll do it. And now if I oh, yeah. happen to be listening and I know that there's something going on I will instruct the tug driver, "Hey, after this jet clears behind us, then go ahead and push." You know, I don't let them do it on their own because I don't want to be that guy like that, you know, the the southwest tug driver uh, guy. Um, but cuz you know, I think that civility is still there's a place for that still in this world. And then okay, so that goes on the uncontrolled nature of the whole thing, and I understand that the uh, Virgin is upset uh, by what, what was happening there, occurring there. But the comments that were made, especially the one about the redcoats are coming and, you know, I, sounds uh, like somebody doesn't.
2: Water for duck's back. Yeah, it was,
1: I know, but, but still, it was just, like, to me, I kind of cringe petty. when I hear that kind of crap. Yeah, petty yeah. is a good good word for those things. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. but, okay, here's
2: my take on this. Okay. Um, you, you either get him your slot uh, or you lose it. And uh, the guy was being a bit timid taxing forward. Having said that, he is a heavy big jet and uh, he's not going to uh, risk uh, a ground collision because we've seen them happen and they are just a nightmare for everyone involved. And is it worth the five minutes that it will take that Southwest to come out? And uh, no, it's not. So I, I quite agree. The guy held back. Having said that, you know, you either swallow it or you don't. If you, if you, <laughs> if you're gonna say something to the Southwest crew, make it witty, <laughs> and make it sarcastic, and make it good. Just saying, I'm going to file a report, I'm afraid that doesn't do it for me. Mm-hmm. Because all you're going to do is file a safety report, which everyone will probably, in Southwest, will probably tear up and throw away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and then it has absolutely no meaning in, in real life. It's not like you're, someone's going to be disciplined because of a flight safety report. No, in fact, they'll probably get a, they'll probably get a commendation for getting his flight out two minutes early and uh, making up some time. Whereas it doesn't matter quite so much for the long-haul boys, because, uh, oh, you know, you crank up one of a Mac, and you get in on time now. Makes up for the five minutes that... And to be fair, Southwest, taxi-like, Demons, and once he gets going, he'll get out of your way very quickly. You won't be able to keep Southwest? up
1: with him. Exactly, so you'll be. be
6: What's up? He will
2: be a dot in the horizon yeah. by the time you get going again. So you know, it's it's just a mental thing. Of, I know, you know, but I completely. Why, why are you being so rude? I
1: I, I really understand <laughs> the frustration from the Virgin Atlantic pilot because. You know, you probably are looking in the eyes of the tug driver, and he's looking right at you, and and just pushing back yes. like I'm going to block yeah. you, and that that you <laughs> know yeah, that, yeah, that can yeah, really yeah. piss you off. <laughs> so, <laughs> it can yeah.
2: actually it can distract you, and th- that mm-hmm. for me is probably the biggest takeaway because if you get upset as a you know skipper and you're seething there on your flight deck because this guy's done something, he's quite rude. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, it, you know, uh, the thing is to allow yourself to calm down and then go, right, well, let's not forget to do anything. Let's not sit here talking about it for the next 30 minutes
1: and for the eight-hour flight.
2: Because do really I upset me. It's, it's like everybody
1: who is out there listening to the show. You may not be pilots, but here's something that you can identify with. You're out there, something really upsets you, and you're driving your car. You know what? You're not going to be driving as safely as you normally do because you're going to have that, (laughs) like you're just angry about something. It may not not have anything to do with your driving at all. It might have something to do with (laughs) what happened at your house, that your family or whatever, and you had an argument, and you get in your car. You're not very safe at this point, you know? So it's just.
2: No, it's exactly right, Jeff. Yeah. Swallow, Swallow it. Resume that calm exterior of the professional airline pilot and just carry on as if nothing happened.
1: Okay, we're going to do one more, and uh, this is from uh, this. Sam Dawson, and I just thought this is a, a really great way to end uh, this particular episode, and be on a high note, um, he sent us uh, some feedback, greetings APG crew, in episode 547, you discussed the TSA dogs calendar, being an airline pilot, I love traveling the world and seeing different cultures, and of course sampling different beers. Yeah, that's the best Cheers. part of it. Uh, but I, oh, yeah, I wish I had a beer to drink, but I will after <laughs> after church this afternoon. Yeah. I, I, I'm singing, so I have to kind of, I don't want to, yeah, it's just best if I don't drink. <laughs> it lubricates the tubes. It does, yeah, in my in my eyeballs. Um, anyway, but I also retur- love returning home. When I open the back of my truck to remove my bags, it gives three beeps as it opens. After I do this, if I look up, I'm always greeted by someone looking oh. out the window is who is happy to that's see so me cute. return. Yeah, and, it's not uh, the wife. <laughs> no, no, it's not the wife. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the dog. It's the oh, his cute little puppy in the window looking at him. It's just yeah. such a cute picture. I just Daddy love it. Here's <laughs> the beeps, and yeah, are oh, the it. three beeps. Oh, daddy's home. Oh, I uh, can just see great. the tag, the the, 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 the tail wagging. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I like imagine you'd be absolutely monstered. Around your ankles when you get in,
1: yeah, yeah, and you know, I know you know that feeling well, Nick.
2: Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, the the dog, the the my lovely wife used to just stand back and let all the dogs, you know, get rid of their excitement, and then we'd have a. Usually, me now slathered dogs all over. Yum. She'd then get her welcome home kiss, and she'd be <laughs> go <going, laughs> <yeah.
1: laughs> All right. Well, anyway, great right. show. Uh, it took us a, a couple of days to do it, but uh, we did it. And uh, thank you so much for those who were there yesterday and today in our live audience. We do appreciate that. And again, you know, we mentioned this a lot, And uh, but please follow us. We're going to mention our, how you can follow us on social media here in a, just a second. But uh, if you can uh, join us on a live recording, I think you'll really enjoy the experience. And yeah.
2: uh, I'd, I'd try and pick one where Pilot Pip and uh, um, High or Boxes isn't there. If you see them <laughs> yeah. in the chat room, I'd, well, th- yeah. I'd, I'd give it a miss. Come along next time,
1: it's a luck of the draw. You know, maybe next time they won't be there. <laughs> uh, no, they're they're great. Uh, we're so happy that they're there, uh, to heckle us yeah. and uh, exactly. make our content. If kinds you of- see
2: Masha and Hillel, that's fine.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, people that make constructive comments. <laughs> um, no I'm just kidding they, uh, I, I, everybody there is great we love you all and thank you for uh, showing up but anyway um, so uh, we're going to point you over at our website uh, airlinepilotguy.com we got a lot of information about the crew and the community and the, uh, calendar and merchandise, more information yeah, about the Naked
2: it. Pilot calendar. That's the Naked really
1: Pilot cool. calendar, yep. That's <laughs> uh, kind of a surprise. We aren't going to announce that yet, Nick, but okay. You just okay. blew it. Fair you enough. just spilled the beans.
6: We were going to keep it under wraps.
1: Yeah, we're going <laughs> to keep it under wraps. Ha <laughs> <laughs> Very good, please. <advice. laughs> ah. Anyway, uh, so, so much more. Check it out, Airlinepilotguide.com. And we're also on uh, some social media. Nick, you want to do that?
2: Oh yeah most certainly uh Facey Bookie uh, which is uh, now known as uh, is it Meta is that the I one? don't
1: know I think we've had this discussion before and we just yeah, completely okay. Anyway butchered
2: if it. you <laughs> like a Facey Bookie go airline pilot guy uh, and that'll it's just search for that you'll find us there and if you're a Twitterer then uh, at APG Crew works for uh, sending us a comment. By the way, you know best email us if you want to send feedback in, because um, we don't tend to necessarily move comments uh, that you think are worth feedback uh, into it. Anyway, um, so if you want to, that was very quick. <laughs> Uh, young young (laughs) thank you Uh, feedback at airlinepilotguide.com is the email address to use anyway like uh, Twitter there is an Insta address which is APG crew and uh, if you want to find out what we're posting or post something to be absolutely fair um, not many of us perhaps Steph a bit uh, do much on Insta so
1: Instagram so anyway have fun see if you can find us it's all a challenge it is it is and we are also on slack and let's see if we can get uh, Hillel I saw him in the uh, live audience here sh- uh not too long ago so uh, slacking away let me uh oh look I think he's back in the uh in the in the show oh, watch out you might mess up your suit Hello. Jeff. can you do slack That's okay. And watch out. I mean, he's not used to this. Well, he's in all kinds of different locations. He's used to figuring out his way around. Anyways, why don't you come over here and tell us about Slack.
6: APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack.
1: Thanks a lot, Hillel. Can you get me a roll of toilet paper? You betcha. Be right there. All right. And uh, with that, we're going oh, to... By, by
2: the way, Pip has sent the Plane Safety Podcast um, an email on that. There's probably a website address, isn't it?
1: <laughs> what in the world is that address?
2: <laughs> I don't know. It's obviously I... how to get in touch with Pip if you're interested.
1: Really? Okay. <laughs> I don't think so. I, I'd be very, very careful... <laughs> Uh, entering that address into a browser yeah, and hitting enter. I'd
2: be very careful if you want to get in touch with Pip at the first place. <laughs> yeah, well, true. You know, him my
1: arms. <laughs> what harm could this do? Actually, be any worse? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, we love you, Pip. We love you, Hillel. Uh, all of you, uh, I, even I hold boxes, uh, Masha, and at all oh, absolutely in the, uh, in the live comments. audience. Uh, thanks so much for uh, hanging out with us today. And until next time, we're going to wish you all clear skies and limited visibility and tailwinds. Take care, and God bless.
2: Uh, Have a lovely Christmas, and uh, do enjoy yourselves, folks. And
1: isn't Liz going to say goodbye? She usually does. There she is.
6: Bye, everybody.
1: Merry Christmas. Happy holiday. Yeah, bye, Humbug.
7: Till I started APG. I opened
0: doors for little old ladies. I helped them to their seats. Airline pilot guy. I'm fly a flyer. Oh! Airline pilot guy. He can't
5: land in heavy fall. I got no friends cause I'm always flying. I just don't have the time. But I can land this old
3: plane. I can land it just fine.
0: Airline, well, not a guy. I fly a flyer.